Hello and welcome everyone to your favorite wrestling podcast. I'm talking about Dungeons and Diapers with Crofton and Ryan, where every episode we go deep in a WWE storyline. Our listeners have voiced their pleasure. They said, this is what we want out of this show. And I said, you know what? I'm willing to pivot. I'm willing to listen to you listeners and uh, and focus our show away from parenting stuff and video games and talk solely about pro wrestling, our collective passion. But maybe, Ryan, maybe I've misunderstood their request. Maybe I should put a pin on it until WrestleMania itself. What say you? Uh, when is WrestleMania? Like next month? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, let's put a pin on it at least to give people a month off. Yeah. A month off? You mean a month to do their homework. I understand, Ryan. I understand. So welcome, I guess, to regular Dungeons & Diapers, (laughs) where where we will do uh, the regular stuff we do, which is talk about some of the geeky stuff that we're into, as well as a topic of the week where, where it concerns parenting. In this case, the topic is the family car, Ooh. where we will be talking about, well, pretty much what how we says. get our kids around. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. But all right. Also, I'd be interested. Like, we can talk about, we'll talk about our family cars, obviously, that we currently are, are using and buying them. And so, you know, you got one fairly recently. But we'll also, you know, we can also reminisce on some Ooh. of our family cars uh as well uh from our childhood so we'll be will be an interesting one later on but of course that is the second section so without further ado we'll jump right into it and ryan i will just say that um you know i feel like especially when it comes to video games that there's been a lot that's happened this year um and there's a lot that's going on like from the pal worlds to the hell divers 2 to the final fantasy 7 rebirths like there's there's just a lot that that people are talking about so it makes me legitimately laugh when i look at our notes and i see stuff (laughs) like Betrayal at Crondor and Jedi Survivor. So we will have we will have some interesting fun today. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's it's a grab bag this this episode. And and as promised, I brought something uh, to sort of uh, apologize to the fans that were questioning the WrestleMania content. So uh, I brought some anime for everybody. So there you go. Um, I know you're excited about that because you're a huge fan of anime. And now he's popped into the notes to be like, what? Anime? No one told me about that. It's true. That's 100% what I'm doing. <laughs> when is when is Anime Mania? Can we put a pin on it until then? I think Anime Mania, like the closest would be like, what's the what's the big sort of Toronto Comic Con? It's not Comic Con, but it's like Anime North or Fan, fan Expo. Fest or something. Fan, fan Expo, fest, yeah. yeah. That might be a fun one. Maybe you and I need to do like a field trip. Just go to like like a Comic-Con type thing. We're, there's got to be the, like a big one in Ottawa or close to it, I would think. Oh, so. we yeah, we have a Comic-Con for sure. I just worry, obviously, about getting swarmed by fans, obviously. I know well. you're worried about that, but I'm, I'm not I'm, – I, I'm not worried. And when Ryan's not worried, that usually means there's really nothing to worry about because uh, I'm always worried. That's my that's my trick. That's his go-to. That's my go-to. Now, Crofton, uh, while 
the last couple episodes, so for the last month, you and I have been doing these challenges, and that's left a bit of a window for your uh, uh, your rivals, your arch nemesis, nemesis, sis, uh, however that's put, from core to basically um, spend a lot of their time giving you shit. Uh, and I don't know if you you caught it all. I know you caught some no. of it, but uh, it's been a bit of a busy couple months over there. Oh, has it really? Yeah. Do you want to know how many clips I I have saved up for the last couple of months since we've done this segment? Has it been a couple of months since we've done this segment? I think so, because I've got episodes from like just the turn of the new year. So, yeah. Oh, oh goodness! I'm gonna say that like four. Seven. I have seven. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm not gonna. I don't have to play all of them tonight. We can we can save some, but um, they've been busy. So, just to recap, this is where you play clips from another show featuring <laughs> that that, uh, and and then I get to tell them uh, my side of the story, knowing that they will never listen to my side of the story. Yeah. Although it's funny you mention that because I feel like when we started doing this segment, it was just, as you put it, you hearing these clips and then telling your side of the story and then just only our listeners hear it. However, I really feel like there was a real uh, turning of the of the knob, the volume, if you will, of, of them the talking about you on the show when we started doing this segment. So I feel like... If anything, it's probably had a hand in that. Uh, All right. Well, I mean, let's, you know, without further ado, let's go, Ryan. Let's get into it. What about what's his um, name? Um, uh, Crofton. Cro- Crofton. He's got something. All right, Crofton. He does have something. And we're going to start with, if you remember, if you remember a few episodes ago, I, I, I feel like it was at the end of this of this past year, Crofton sent in a, a, a voicemail to Core the video game podcast on the Frog Pants Network featuring Crofton's best friend slash enemy, uh, Bo Schwartz. And this happened right after the, the episode. I think you shook Bo a little bit. He was a little worried. Uh, so This was I, like, that was like in November. Like, I feel like that was in November. It was a while point. ago. Like, was, yeah, all right. So these like are I old. said, we paused it for a bit. It's it, we, we let this lay for a little bit. We have a call that I can't explain. If that intrigues you, it's Crofton again. <laughs> no, it's not him. Okay, <laughs> no, no diatribes from Crofton this week. But uh, been fun this last week to listen to everybody uh, either be pro Crofton or anti Crofton. Yeah, yeah. But like, just uh, you know, don't feel bad. Continue ignoring him in the Discord chat. I know he pops in every now and then, and tries yeah. to like get some attention. So, yeah. and then people just resume their conversations like they don't <laughs> care. And so, just keep. That's the right thing to do. Keep doing it. It is that. absolutely the right thing to do. <laughs> so, uh, you, I guess bitches. <laughs> <laughs> you um, you've been popping into their Discord. I don't know if you do it very often anymore, but uh, but just posting gifts over there, and people just kind of like ignore you and or maybe maybe mention that you're there, but yeah. So I just want them to know, Ryan. Yeah. Okay. That I'm watching them. Yes, it's true. That they can't pull anything by me and that, that you know, my diatribe was to say that I will sue them for defamation if they keep it up and that I've got my eye on them. And uh, and so, you know, they might think that their chat is a safe spot, but I just want them to know that I'm always watching. True. 
Crofton knows how to work Discord, so keep an eye out. Uh, this one's called Shed Talk, so let's see what this is about. Does Crofton have a Star Wars arcade cabinet behind him? What is that? He does. Yeah, I think it play. I think it's just like it looks like that. It's one of those ones where you get someone to program five thousand main oh, okay. games in there or something gotcha. like that. Yeah, I don't think it's an authentic like one of, but it has lots of arcades. He has a shed in his backyard. So because the pandemic made him work from home, so he had Mike build him a shed, and in his shed. Which is very echoey, by the way, is a that arcade cabinet and then his workstation. So he's playing in his shed right now. That's a shed. That's a shed. Did you? <laughs> he, he made it very clear that you were in a shed. So, couple of questions: Do they have a camera in my shed? Um, like, how would? Why? Why would they? They know what the inside of my shed looks like. They do. So I think what happened here is this was shortly after your D and D campaign launched with uh, Bo Schwartz called Order and Defiance. And and oh my, yeah, available uh, everywhere on all available. your favorite podcatchers. It's true. It's true. Anywhere Acast serves. So, um, yeah. So I think that was the case. Is Scott and them were looking at the video. Scott likes to play some video while while doing core on the video show, and and part of that was your shed he was looking at. So well. Scott, when if ever you're in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, you're free to come visit me in my shed. There you go. I'm going to clip that out and send it to Scott as a personal invitation to go to Ottawa. So there you go. Uh, this next clip is called. Oh yeah, I'm not even going to say it. Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna play the clip because you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But you know, you'll you'll get the idea. And we played Rude again, which I'm sure Crofton cheated because he won and. <laughs> the game's rules are complicated, but there's and so there's always cheating that can go unvalidated. Not intentional, but you know. Sounds like him. I'm sure he cheated. <laughs> but anyways, we, we played a bunch of board games, and Crofton was like, uh, well, it's still early. Do you want to play some VR? And I was like, oh, I'm feeling kind of tired. I, I don't know. But I, I get so rarely an opportunity to play multiplayer in VR that I eventually was convinced. And we played Dungeons of Eternity. Mm. Now, it wasn't as long as we would have liked because he didn't charge his headset and only had 56%. <laughs> even though he's got the extra battery, which was at zero. Yeah. And it's funny. So he abandoned me midway through. All right, Crofton. So a couple things. You cheated at this card game. This was We talked about this before. It's not a card game. It's a board game. It's a board game. Sorry. Root. Now, Bo knows at this point that it drives me nuts when he complains about Root. So he, he does it purposely. He's like, oh, the rules are complicated or the rules aren't well written. The reality is that Bo is somewhat right in his saying of, in previous matches of Root that I may have misunderstood some of the rules in a way that benefited me. Accidentally, obviously, I did not know. And because you're playing, there's three factions. It's a bit like StarCraft in the sense that they all play completely differently. They have different win, different win conditions, different ways of of playing on this board game. And uh, so you kind of have to play it at least three times to get a sense of how the game works. Like you can know your faction, but not know the others. So I would play. Then when Bo would play as, as the faction I had played the next time, he would be like, hey, last time when you were playing, you were double counting this. And I was like, oh, was I? Oh, I guess that's right. And then so, yes, I was cheating by accident because I didn't know any better. But now I know better. And so I beat him fair and square last game for sure. And so I don't appreciate the defamation. As to the VR thing, yeah, he's right about that. I should have charged the headset. Yeah. 
There you go. Uh, this is a continuation of that VR chat here, and um, it goes some places. And I really feel like I need to know your side of the story because this is, uh, yeah. We were hanging out in the main lobby, and he's like, "Here, take my glass, drink from it." And I'm like, "Okay, I pretend to drink from it." And he's like, "Here, have another one." And I'm like, "Okay," and I pretend to drink from it. He's like, "Look, look what I'm putting in the cup." And then he's holding the cup in his crotch. And he's like, "I'm peeing at it." You know, he, he wasn't really peeing at it, but that's. So he's, like, he's joking around that he fed me two glasses of piss, and it's just funny, right? You're just like, ah, it's, that's some know, that's some Crofton shit if I ever heard any. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, if it's he like, could, he, here's the thing about Crofton though: if he could put real <laughs> pee in there, he would. He'd do it. Yeah. Well, you know, yes, he he, he, got, he got a laugh. It's just because he's jealous how awesome. Oh, because I forgot I forgot the context of the whole day. All right, I just got to pause it there. So uh, you peed in some flasks. Now here's the thing: Bo was talking as if like, haha, it was just. It was just fun times, but but uh, Scott was like, literally accusing you of, of doing that. Like, that oh, of course, but he doesn't really know. He's buying into Bo's perception, what Bo is putting out there. And I will say, Ryan, that that when whenever you're hanging out with friends and you're, you know, it's about knowing your audience, right? Like, it's about knowing your audience. When I hang out with Bo, I know jokes about pee and poo and other bodily functions. We'll get a laugh because he has the, you know, sense of humor of maybe a seven-year-old. And I have a seven-year-old or, like, close enough. Gwen's a little bit more mature than Bo, to be fair. And so, so I mean, I know what's going to get him giggling. And so I will do that. And, of course, Bo's impression is that I am all about the pee jokes and the poo jokes or whatever. But really, that's just for his uh, his benefit. So, And I would just like to add um, one thing that was funny about this situation. I'm playing this game. And v- Bo and I have a fundamental disagreement about what how to play VR games. I think that if your character is standing and you're walking around the world, then if you can, unless you have accessibility reasons, like you should be standing as well. Uh, but Bo is of the opinion that any VR, every VR game should be played sitting down no matter what. And so what was very funny was that he's like tr- watching me, like I'm pouring him a glass and he's got his hand, he's like crouched in a way because his guy looks like he's po- sitting on a invisible chair moving around with his hands up like he's using a mouse and keyboard that are higher than his shoulders uh and he just looks absolutely ridiculous and normally other people can't see that when you're playing solo but when you're playing multiplayer i'm like why are you why are you standing like that here have a glass of piss you know so it it was very eye level for him yeah no no that, that 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 checks out um and then there's a second part here about the real reason he brought that up yeah, well, you know, yes, he he, he, got, he got a laugh. It's just because he's jealous how awesome. It, oh, because I forgot I forgot the context of the whole day. Um, the first game of El Dorado, I beat him so bad he never wanted to play it again, and we had to talk <laughs> him for thirty minutes into playing his second game. <laughs> like Bo's just gonna win. He's too good at deck builders. Yeah, and then I, you know, uh, and but and then I lost the second game. So you know, did you let him win? Is my question. I didn't. I didn't. I okay. got stuck in a in a trap. He's no Wookiee, yeah. so it's fine. Yeah, I just got really lucky and built an awesome deck and trounced him so hard <clears throat> that well. it took him like a few hours to mentally recover. All right. So I think you can already see, like, first he started with 30 minutes, which sounds like just a ridiculous amount of time to begin with. And then then it became a few hours over the course of the story. Like, I could, you can already tell that the narrator is unreliable here. I will say... 
that there is some truth to what he was saying. He played an absolute perfect game of this this deck building type game. And I was trying to tell my friend uh, Mike that it is not worth playing a human calculator like Bo in a game like this. He's always going to win. But then almost despite me, he played about the stupidest possible second match and then was like, look, you know, you guys were able to win, but it was unfortunately Mike that won the second game and not me. So in the end, I lost both. So in a way, I was right. There you go. In a way, Crofton was right. Uh, all right. Well, I, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a couple quick ones here. So, um, Jesus, this one, this one got me. This one got me. I felt, I felt, I felt the sting on this one. So this is from Core Four Hundred One. So we're starting to catch up to where they are now. So here you go. I don't know. Family I don't know members that are into your stuff, like, will watch, like, or friends, like Mike. Doesn't. Yeah. Not a big lover of video games. Lover of core. He listens. Oh, he likes like, core, does he? Mike does? Yeah, he listens all the time. And doesn't listen great. to Crofton's show, which always pisses Crofton off. But... <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's great. And, uh, you know, it's not about support. It's like, oh, you have a genuinely funny show, so I listen. There you go. I oh, my upset. God. I. Oh. <laughs> Mike, Ooh, what the uh, heck? It's yeah, a parenting Mike, show. You're not gonna, you're not gonna hear this. Actually, Mike's exact words were that he's like, "Look, I got a kid. I, I don't want to hear about parenting stuff." And I was, I, I, <laughs> hey, I was like, "We don't." Fair. I'm like, "We don't only talk about that. You don't play video games, you know." Like, but, uh, but, uh, but he's, you know, he's in it for the Crofton jabs. I think is what he's what you're trying to say. I mean, he definitely appreciates them. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, uh, I think that, I think maybe we need to like bring Mike on the show, kicking and screaming. He can pick the topic, uh, and then, and then maybe, maybe then he'll understand. I mean, we talk about books, we talk about wrestling, talk about anime, talk about video games sometimes. You know, all kinds. Of I stuff. know, I know. <sighs> all right. Uh, well, what? <laughs> What about this? And I hated that, but it's like it's a little better with friends around because at least then I can run away and I can rely on my friends to help me with my fear. Okay. I wouldn't be wanting to do this alone though; that would terrify me. But um, and you found Crofton yeah. reliable in this scenario; he was helping. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, there's no like stealing mechanics or anything like that. All right. So you know that was okay. He definitely. Yeah. I mean, he's been messing up so much in our Baldur's Gate game, which has also been ongoing. Mm. Like, you know, I don't know. You know the crash where the, there's that lady that you get the quest? She wants you to steal a Githyanki egg? Yeah. In yeah, so we talk to that lady. We do the whole crash thing. We get the, we steal the egg. And then um, we're going to hand the quest in. And Crofton can't help himself but pickpocket the lady while we're handing the quest in. He fails. Mm. She turns hostile. And we kill her. We can't turn the quest in. Ugh. Crofton, why? <laughs> so I just want to point out a couple of things. One very minor character, like really doesn't, I mean, I don't think that she's very significant. That quest itself, she was asking to abduct a baby. Secondly, why play a rogue if you're not even allowed, if I can't pickpocket my, pickpocket my teammates, then at least let me pickpocket the NPCs. Is it my fault that I rolled shitty that time? We all roll shitty from time to time, you know? Anyway, I yeah, that was true. Hey, I, what was the thing they were talking about originally? Like, can you rely on your friends? Oh, it blah, was. Blah, blah, I think blah. it was something to do with that uh, co-op VR game that you guys were playing. 
Because he, yeah. Pillars of Eternity, no, what was it? Dungeons of Eternity. Yeah, you know, what's funny in that game is you really have to, like, um, you really have to work together sometimes. There's, like, dark areas where where it's, like, pretty, it's dark and you've got to hold a torch. And, but, but if you're holding a torch, you know, you can't draw your bow. There's other stuff you can't do so one of you's like holding the torch and the other one's walking with their weapons out and you know there could be monsters in the dark and yeah there's it it, it is um it is much better. i played that game quite a bit solo and it is uh, you know it's much better playing with a friend uh in, in in that game so i can understand like Bo has arachnophobia and um there are you know spiders and spider monsters in that in in the game and like he's able to handle it if I'm playing with him, but uh, when I dropped, when my headset dropped, it was in the middle of the dungeon, and uh, the boss of that dungeon that he got to shortly thereafter was a huge giant spider, and he took off his headset, and was like, "Nope, nope, nope," and uh, and that was that. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, well, you know what? I've got one more, and I think this clip. So there's been a bit of a thread here throughout these clips. If you haven't seen it, like Bo tells a story. Yes, it involves Crofton, Crofton doing something silly. But there's been a progression through these clips over the last couple of months, and you might notice it's uh, it's it's Scott like really being like I think I you know digging at the Crofton. I think Scott might be like really into this rivalry here. So uh, all in good fun though. He's trying to make it happen. Play that clip. It is. All right. This clip happened not on core, but during their core play sessions where they play video games. Bo was not playing with them. It was just, <laughs> Bo wasn't even there. So listen to this. You know who's probably annoying in this game? Um, Who? Crofton. <laughs> Why is that? I don't know. I just get a feeling that he would be murder in here. Just a big old pain in the ass. So there you go. Crofton. <laughs> what a what a drive by. Oh god, that's, he's just like, you know, I'm just gonna take a shot. Yes. You know what? I, like Ryan, I feel like you are like the mastermind behind this in that you're building, you've put together this collage, you've even created a narrative which you've yeah. spoon-fed me. You said, like, you know, Crofton, I think your beef isn't just with Bo, it's specifically with Scott. And so Ooh. So I I think you're you're trying to goad me into sending them another another message and reigniting my feud, even though part of my New Year's resolution was to put this feud behind me. Um, I don't know, like hearing all those clips together, I, I may have to I might have to reassess. Uh, but I also am cognizant that that's a lot of another podcast, and we should probably <laughs> yes. pivot into our podcast. But you know what? Maybe all those clips will make Mike listen to my podcast, you know? I mean, if you tell him the first 20 minutes is pretty much core, there you it's go. It's pretty much it's the good parts of core, Mike. <laughs> you know, like, then, then yeah, no, for sure, he might, he might be there. But instead, Ryan, we are going to do some delving into the dungeons, not the dungeons of eternity, but the dungeons of uh, the things that we are uh, playing right now. Before we do, like at the very beginning of these dungeons, I just want to talk about the challenges really quick um, and note that I have done nothing. <laughs> so, uh, so I know I have the whole calendar year to start streaming live on Twitch. I mm-hmm. have not gotten a webcam, created a Twitch account, or streamed live on Twitch. Now, I have streamed on Twitch as part of like Bo's Baldur's Gate group or as part of the 
celebrated award-winning order and defiance podcast uh but i have not done so myself as to the specs of the challenge so i am i am at zero ryan right now how are you well uh and i did this specifically today so i'd have i have an update for you uh, for our listeners but uh, i have started my playthrough of uh, betrayal at Crondor. Um, I streamed it to, uh, the gamers in discord, which we do have a presence uh, as a podcast there at the, uh, bit.ly slash TGI discord, uh, Dungeons and diapers channel. And, um, yeah, I, I bought it on steam. It was on sale. I bought it on steam, the collection, and I tested it on steam deck works great. So if you're looking to pick it up on steam deck, it works great there. There is no cloud saves. So you kind of obviously like, it shouldn't be a surprise. It is a I guess it would be a port or a sort of it's DOS box. So, I mean, it's not yeah. like it's not like the original version. It's definitely been updated, but uh, it does not have Steam cloud saves. I'm sure you could dig out your save and move it to another platform or another computer if you wanted to. But I decided to uh, uh, since I had I had not played the game before or games of its type. Uh, this is my first sort of, uh, you know, uh, what what are they called? Like click and maneuver. I mean, I I would say like these are the games that eventually Baldur's Gate three is the prodigy of. Like it's a okay. computer, it's a computer role playing game where you like play as a party and you go on an adventure. It's just from the first person. There was a series of games released around this time that were from the first person. I the Beholder was the D and D one. It was a big. It was a big one where you walk around like this with the arrows and sort of thing. But uh, Betrayal of Crondor took all of that to a much greater level, bigger world, and of course was supported by the author of the Crondor books, um, who wrote a lot of a lot of stuff for it. So it is funny. I watched some of your stream. The game was originally released in 1993, and I noted to you like when when you were starting this, I was like, man, this game is going to be dated because it was dated when it came out. Like those, when you're walking around and the mountains are like giant green polygons and stuff like that, that was like, that was, that looked bad in 1993, right? Like it was not, it, 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 and then, and then of course, you know, like all the actors are photoed, they're, all the characters are photos of, of real actors wearing what, what looks like medieval times outfits, um, you know, like really. <laughs> Really, really like cheap costumes or whatever, because like these games at that time were made on like shoestring budgets by small, like games were big business like they were now. Right. But one thing that struck me, because I set the bar really low, like being like, I'm, I'm not sure how well this held up, but watching you play it made me de- want to play it again desperately because as you were playing it, I was reading it and it's like, like, you know, I've been playing a lot of video games lately um, that, that have a lot better, uh, that have a lot of writing, like Baldur's Gate. People have been talking about how great the writing is in Baldur's Gate, but it's it's honestly impressive how good this 1993 game's writing still holds up and how it does a lot of heavy lifting for the game, especially when you consider, like, I did I did a Google quote, not, not to pick on your favorite RPG of all time, but I did a Google quote on Super Mario RPG, which came out years later. Like, uh, like, what are some of the famous quotes 
from Super Mario RPG. And no offense, Ryan, they're they're like, woohoo, it's a me. You know, like it it was it wasn't Whoa. it was spoiler alert, a Mario game it, famous for woohoo. I know me. <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying like the even the Final Fa- Final Fantasy Six, a celebrated Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy Seven, Eight, Nine, none of them are as well written as 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 Pichella Condor was, right? Um and so it's just they do the game thing better, which is what they should do first and foremost is, is be games. But I, I will say that I do think a lot of the mechanics in Bichella Crondor actually were like quite a bit ahead of their time. And watching it, I was like, man, this isn't as date. Like the stuff that was dated that I knew was dated was dated like five minutes after the game came out um, and still remains dated. But like, the rest of it still seems it seems like it seems good good enough that like my nostalgia bone is really peaked and I'm like oh man I I would like to play that I have it on uh, good old games I tried to run it on my Steam Deck through the heroic launcher and it would not work so looks like I'll be double buying it on Steam yeah yeah I'm uh like I said I I've not played a game like this before but I think you're I think you're sort of thought process or or not even thought but like your statement that you know Baldur's Gate 3 is is an evolution of of these games that came uh, from the 90s and 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 whatnot it's it's funny cuz like um if you think of the time frame you know the, the in in my from my point of view like early 90s was like Super NES that sort of era and the Super NES wasn't doing this type of these type of graphics, like, you know, the, the live action sort of rotoscoped, um, uh, characters, like that was Mortal Kombat, like, and not much else, you know? So it has like those characters that are like, they're dressed up as the characters, they're right. taking images and, and there's full motion video as well. Like it's, they're, they're moving, um, too. There's no voice acting, which is not surprising considering the era. The, so, was there a, actually a question? There is weird voice acting in the. There was a CD. This was around the time where CD ROMs were arriving. Like C, yeah. you could get, so you could get the diskette version of Charlie Crowder. You could also get a CD. Now a CD, the CD version, like you also computers had sound cards, and and the, it made a huge difference what level of sound card that you had. Like if you had a sound blaster, for instance. Um, card then it could do some digitized speech and i remember like i'd played betrayal of crondor a bunch on my sound card that did great music and all this then i i played it on a computer that had a sound blaster card and it, it became i started recognizing um and i think it was the cd version that when you encounter characters like you encountered a dwarf in the um, mines this time the first yeah. time like initiating that conversation there was a sound line like uh, and i don't know if you got it on your version but the the sound through the sound blaster it would be like the dwarf would say one line and it would be voice voice acted and every convert every character that would when you would engage into a conversation with a character there would be like a little hello there you know like or something like that so but that's voice like there was legit voice acting it was very it wasn't like all the text was voice acting it was just like little bits to at the beginning of conversations and only if you had a sound blaster card at the time you know it was so weird 
Yeah, no, it, it uh, there's definitely voice lines, uh, like little voice lines, and and it's definitely going to sound like how you would imagine it sounds based on the the time frame. But I think the most jarring thing to me playing it was immediately presented with the UI and having no idea what anything does. Like we are so uh, the I, I was going to say like so catered to but but really like these days like you, we have the technology to overlay buttons with what they do you know when you mouse over them and there's a bit of that in here but for the most part it thinks you it's true read the manual read the manual yeah. yeah which i have not done because i bought it on steam and i i don't even know if there is a manual um and it was kind of the reason why <laughs> i streamed it to discord and then tagged crofton several times knowing he would eventually show up and and help me out uh, but I think I, I got the hang of it, you know, pretty quick. And I, and like, look, it's, it's a, it is a, it's a quote unquote simple game in the sense that the mechanics are, you know, limited in, in what you can do because of the, the era it came out in, but it is still a complex game in the sense that as you were saying, Crofton, like, look at that map, you can go anywhere outside of like this section, which is blocked off until a certain chapter. And, um, I think that, uh, it's also a game that like weirdly has like no intro. It almost feels like I should know who these characters are, you know, like they're, they talk as if like the intro starts and it's like, here are these three characters, Gorath, Owen, and, uh, uh, I don't know. What's the other guy's name? Leon. Locklear. 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 So they, they just kind of like appear and I feel like it's, it's a bit, it's a bit jarring. Like, is this a game that takes place in a series or is this the first one or like is so there it, books? It's, it's a good question. So a, a couple of things. First off, the game is starting in the middle of the action. So like it, it's yes. starting and you're going to learn, you sort of learn a little bit more. Like essentially the game begins with Locklear and Owen traveling together. You don't know why yet. And then Gorath is an, uh, an escaped prisoner from this other race. He just jumps in and like, th- this is what kicks off the plot, but you're right. There's very little that like kicks off, kicks off the story. You don't know what's going on. It's in the middle of the action to answer your question about the book series. Yes, it is part of a book or series. And I tell you, I found that part quite challenging in the sense that some of the characters are known from the book series. Now, Owen and Gorath are created for this game, and they're the two main characters. Uh, they're the the wizard and the main fighter. They're they're created for this game. Uh, Locklear is, I think, a small character in the books and all of that. But in chapter two, Locklear is replaced by another character with Owen and Gorath, and that character is like being the lead character in several books. Uh, and in in one of the chapters, your your goal is to free another character who is an, a very notable character in the books as well. So there is there is this thing where it's like you know there are characters that are presented as quote unquote big deals, and when that happens, you can pretty much infer that they're from the books. Do you need to have read the books? Absolutely not. In fact, I did not read any of the books until well after I played the game, and at that point. The game got me interested enough to read the opening three book arc set in this world, um, and uh, and uh, but yeah, so you don't need to you de- like you don't need to know that, and the fact that you are sort of confused on the on the onset is intentional. Um, 
but you know, like you get to use like through the game, I got to learn the factions of the world. It's very much elves and dwarves and all of that stuff from Tolkien. And then again, but you get to, to like they have you get to understand the politics of the world, and it's so much richer than other things because it's a hundred percent based on books that that have their own world and are, are well well done, and people are are choosing to read. So like. You know, each little town could have been a location from the books, you know. So everything is like fleshed out quite a bit, especially if, you know, you take the time to read some of the stuff. I remember the reading was daunting for me when I was a kid. But like when we were playing it earlier, when I was watching you play it and the text came up, I'm like, oh, it's not really that much. It's it's like Baldur's Gate pretty much has a similar amount of text. It's just all voice acted in Baldur's Gate, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I uh it, the the text was daunting at first and and uh, Crofton was great enough to r- read a good chunk of it uh for the stream. Look, I could um so a couple points, I could feel it, like your nostalgia for it. Like you were like look, uh-huh. like not many folks are going to come into a stream like this and then start doing the the most difficult job which is to read the text which is already small and grainy through a discord stream so i could tell right off the bat on my phone was, was on your phone wow i could tell you were feeling it you know and um it totally makes sense that you chose this as a challenge twofold because a we get to talk about what your what is clearly your favorite game from from your childhood yeah uh-huh. but uh also uh i got a message from whirlwind <laughs> and he's like He's like, I take back what I said about these challenges being easy because I think first glance Uh of this game, he's like, there's no way I could play this. And after an hour of playing this, I can look, I'm going to be competitive on this. I am going to try to keep ahead of Crofton. Uh I'm not going to let him get too far ahead. I don't anticipate Crofton doing like a weekend eight hour stream where now all of a sudden I've got to like tuck in for some some Crondor days, but uh, I, I, I'm going to keep it steady. I'm going to do the lunch sort of streams uh, in the discord um, guaranteed the th- every Thursday that we record as long as my schedule can hold, but I might, I might have to bump it up to every Thursday at lunch. We'll see. But I, I think that's, that's sort of my, that's where I'm at. I, I think with this game, I'm curious. I'm taking notes. I'm having to take notes and, uh, Crofton's been nice enough to kind of lay out the quests for the first three chapters, which is nice. A couple of things on that, though. I would say that, like, in Whirlwind's case specifically, he doesn't even play Baldur's Gate 3, right? Like, so there's no trophies either, so. Yeah, no, for sure. There's, it's really, like, that, the complete, if, if, like, Baldur's Gate 3 is more complex than this game in almost every single you know, facet imaginable. Um, the only thing is that Baldur's Gate 3 holds your hand a little bit more and that the, the, everything is voice acted, right? But like, if it was all text and there was no voice acting in Baldur's Gate 3, I do really think that that would impact a lot of people's enjoyment in terms of getting into that game. It's 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 a bulky game. I think a lot of the difficulties that you're having with Crondor right now are related. Yes, there's some, you know, dated stuff, obviously. There's nothing sexy that's drawing you in right off because it doesn't have the graphics or anything and the capability to do that. However, I do think that it is a good story told well that's going to hold up. And I think that at one point it's going to dig its hooks in like you right now it started in the middle of things. It did that strategically, but sometimes it's hard to find your grounding and get a sense of like, okay, what's going on. 
as you go on and explore things, you start to encounter the temples, you get to know the different groups, you get to know the mechanics a little bit. It, it gels more and more. That said, and like you do you, I think playing a big RPG like this, no matter how old, one hour a week during lunch is never going to allow you to get into this game. And I, I do think that um, it is a game that is made up of little clues and little hints and little things. And that you, even though if you take meticulous notes, it's going to be difficult for you. Um, you know, like, so, so anyway, it'll, it'll, it'll be a matter of, of, uh, uh, like I'll be fascinated. I'll be fascinated to see because, like, I've, obviously you have no nostalgia for this, which is which is great in in the sense that I want to get somebody's impressions from uh, you know the, uh, a later generation to see how a game like this holds up. But um, but I expected. I remember Ryan. I set expectations to you that this was not going to hold up, and and I know that I wanted to hold up due to nostalgia. But watching you play it, I was like, huh. You know, like the right type of person, I think, would still get engaged with this game today. And so um, I'm not saying that that's you, uh, but uh, but I am very curious. I am very curious. So I will be following your quest with great interest, my squire. Will do. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll obviously we'll continue to update and um, Crofton will eventually start his challenge. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll see where we go from there. Well, Ryan, uh, because you shared your experience with the game, I'm going to share mine on uh, Jedi. Uh, uh, wait, uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, and I always you got the this... wrong one in there. No, no, it's it's the wrong one's Fallen Order. Yeah, you put that in the notes. I'm just saying, oh, in case you oh, were dude. using the notes. Just... I know I wasn't using the notes, but the fact that I put it in there. <laughs> The fact the fact that I put it in there is a good testament to like how what I'm going to say a little bit about this game because, um, you know I enjoyed Jedi Fallen Order which was the the previous game in the series. This is a this is a uh, you know uh, it's a 3D action adventure, big budget, triple A, made by Respawn under Electronic Arts label. A lot of people know this game and the predecessor. It's one of the few Star Wars games Electronic Arts has managed to publish. Uh, during the their agreement with um, Lucasfilm or, or uh, Disney, um, but uh, but yeah, I uh, I enjoyed Jedi Fallen Order quite a bit, um, but but uh, I've been playing Jedi Survivor and I'm pretty far now. And uh, for those who have played this game before, I just got the air dash power, which is uh, I think a really big deal in terms of um you know changing maybe a little bit about how i feel about the game uh but uh but yeah i've been i've been putting a lot of time in it and when i first started ryan i was like this game and i'm playing it on playstation 5 i still haven't played that many games on the playstation 5 i'm still wowed by the graphics when it, it starts um on coruscant which is the capital planet with which is all a giant city everybody knows sort of coruscant it's a kind of a fun locale a cool opening type spy mission and uh the opening is, is is pretty good and i was getting excited and i was remembering my good sort of memories of jedi fallen order and that and then uh you know soon enough you get to a planet and it opens this whole world and you can go into all these different directions it's very huge and all or all throughout, I'm sort of thinking about man, games like Spider-Man got a lot of attention last year, but 
this game got like no attention and it's really under there's so much work that went in, into it. It's really underrated graphically. It's similar, you know, like it's, it's, there's more of a diversity of things to do. Uh, you know, you have a base that you can build up. Like I was just like, you know, I was like, man, this game was really underappreciated was my, my, my take, take on it. And as I've been playing it more and more, my interest has gone down and down. And I was trying to figure out why that was. Like, I'm like, what? what is it about this game? Because I like Fallen Order. And I, the fact that I get the names so mixed up all the time, I think it shows, like, the, these games are kind of interlocked. They're like, they're this, they're, it's not doing a tremendous amount that Fallen Order didn't do already. It's just bigger. There's more stuff to do. That doesn't necessarily make it better, though, because the narrative, the story is a little bit more sloppy. takes longer to get going in the sense of, like, you know, like, you're you're just sort of, you're figuring out your motivation uh, early on. And, um, and it's not, like, super, super clear, because that's the thing about all these Star Wars things, Ryan. It's like, you know that, like, if the Emperor, Empire is the big bad guy, you know that, like, your main character is never going to beat them right? Because that's what Luke Skywalker and his friends do in the movies. So your character is never going to do that. And they touch on that a little bit in this, like where there's a discussion of how hopeless it is. Um, but it, it just means that you exist as a side story and you know that you do early on. Like you are not the most important thing going on in this world. And uh, that's hard to overcome in terms of like the story. But then the gameplay really really boils down to two main things one is fighting uh and the fighting is good like it uses like um i guess dark souls-esque type combat it's uh it feels like your lightsaber should do more damage than it does i always hate games where like you have a weapon that is like super devastating and it takes like a zillion hits to destroy things that's not necessarily the case here but it feels like your lightsaber is on the on playing on the base difficulty it, it, it should do more damage per per shot so that is a bit annoying but uh, generally, the combat is good. But after you play a game like Sifu or Spider-Man, and I mean, these are the tops of the tops, like it does feel clunky in comparison. And then the other thing is traversal. And Ryan, I, have for I had forgotten, like, I don't know if I blocked it out, but like this game, th the reality is these games, these Jedi games are essentially parkour traversal games. Like with occasional bursts of story or lasers in in lightsaber fights in the middle like you are just climbing on things constantly wall run jump air dash grab pull up you know force force pull down a wire swing on the wire jump you know like you're just constantly doing it and to the extent that it's just like it's like you you don't even know as a player where you're going and how any of it makes sense. I'm just like, okay, I'm going this way because that's where the wall jump, like the wall run can be done on that run wall. So I'm just going to do it. And then, oh, it loops around and oh, now I'm up top and I unlocked a shortcut. That's great. But there's no like, it feels so weird to be the way that you move around the world. You're just like, I'm parkouring because I could do it. And this is the only way to go. And like, it's going to eventually lead me somewhere. Um, and I just like, I started listening to podcasts cause it takes so long to climb places. I'm just like, climb, climb, climb. 
And I guess that's sort of like how Uncharted is too, except I don't remember the climbing bits in Uncharted taking so long or, and, and you could argue there's more puzzle solving with this. Like you're trying to, trying to find a path, but I just, I think that where I've landed and is that it's about a seven out of 10 game. And I just, I think it's a crowded time for me to be playing a seven out of 10 game. So like, I don't know. I don't know if next time we do the show, I'll be talking about Jedi Survivor or if I will fall out, uh, fall, fall off of it. But I will say that there's so much in it. There's so much content. It's clear to me that I could play this for like 60 hours if I wanted to, uh, and that there's like mercenaries hunting you, and there's there's like secret dungeons, and there's all sorts of stuff that you can find, and it's really like it's it's more, more, more. Um, but I mean, I think it might be a case of too much, you know? So anyway, I, I don't mean to come off as too down on it, but, um, but, but yeah, it's just like, it's a good game, but not a, gr- a great game. And I feel like it doesn't do anything that feels super fun all the time when you're doing it. Cause even the parkour, I was listening to the besties podcast as a video game podcast and they were talking about, I was listening to their episode on this because I was curious to hear other people talk about this game. And they were saying about how the, uh, that you get a grappling hook fairly early in this game. And it's true. You do, but it can only be used on very particular spots. And we're like used to having grappling hooks, like in Batman Arkham games, that can just be used pretty much everywhere. Quick touch of a button, you know, to have a grappling hook that can only be used on certain like glowing points just kind of feels shitty, you know? And so, I mean, there's a lot of that where it's like things feel kind of good, like shooting a grappling hook feels good, swinging a lightsaber feels good, but it could feel better, you know? Like, and and they don't have any like, like Spider-Man ha- just doesn't do much. It does swinging and fighting, but it does those two things really well so that mm-hmm. you want to do those things all the time. This game does like, you know, them okay. And the, the last thing I'll, I'll say on, on this is the... Um, I, I'm wondering partly, Ryan, if it's my own brain, because uh, if this had been billed to me as a Prince of Persia game, maybe I and if there was a different skin on it that was like you're the Prince of Persia, I would have expected this level of platforming and puzzles and wall running and jumping over traps and all of this sort of stuff like that would have but as a star wars game where you're a jedi i find it hard to imagine a world where you're like you're the one jedi in the galaxy and all you do is like parkour running on walls and double jump and like it just seems you know and one of the jokes at one point is like every other character seems to have a jetpack and uh your guys like why don't i why am i the only one without a jetpack and i'm like i don't know dude why are you the only one without a jetpack <laughs> maybe get one you know like so yeah. uh you can just buy so, one and, really like yeah like, like that dude there he has a jetpack he's a regular dude i just killed a stormtrooper he's a regular stormtrooper he had a jetpack why don't you you know like instead no there's going to be a zillion puzzles to get up here yeah it's uh, so you know you you chatted a bit about this because we had talked um weeks ago about we both had this game around christmas and we were like hey let's try to you know play this at the same time and and you you had told me you gave me fair notice that you were gonna play it and uh i I just never got around to it and then you were saying like man if you're gonna play this at the same time as i am you better jump in because i am not feeling it um and i still didn't 
jump into it. I was honestly going to play today uh, on my lunch break, and <laughs> I decided to play Betrayal of Grondor instead. Um, but I like it's funny because you mentioned a lot of the traversal because that was a, a critique of the first game. There was a lot of like backtracking, which was obviously a lot of traversal, and there was a lot of like sliding between levels of worlds and some obscure shortcuts and stuff. But uh, the combat was very like arena focused and they talk specifically about, yes, you have a lightsaber, but you do have to um, trim its power down a bit because otherwise you'd just be OP because you're not fighting very often. You're not fighting other characters with lightsabers. You're fighting, uh stormtroopers with stun batons and and stuff like that you do eventually fight some some other folks with lightsabers but even then you are slicing at them and and just taking chunks off a health point not you know dismembering them so like it kind of the game kind of gets in its own way and by extension like uh, i know uh i know a lot of folks who play video games that have the same reaction you do it's like in your brain you know that if this were the movie, uh, that person wouldn't be walking around still, let alone continuing to fight because they just took a lightsaber across the chest. Um, but because it's a video game, it's got to have video game logic, not movie logic. And uh, some folks can't sort of check that at the at the door. And I get that. I totally understand it. And I think I think that might be what's happening here. Like I think the first game suffered from this, and I remember it was a critique from the first game. I didn't anticipate them addressing it in any way. Like I think your options are you make it one hit kill or you you have some lore reason for lightsabers not being as powerful, and that's both those options aren't great. So they just kind of like hand wave it, you know, away. It's just, this is what it is to make the game fun. Um, I really enjoyed the traversal in the first one, but I can understand, like, that's not what you play a Star Wars game for. So I get that, for sure. Yeah, if you go back, uh, like, and play this one, I think that you would find that there's a lot of it. It's just that there's a lot of it. And that lightsaber thing isn't even my my biggest issue. Well, like, Ryan, one thing I'd say about this game is that they, they came up with a design structure for the first game that ate Dark Souls a lot, which was that uh, essentially there's these meditation points and you would get to them and uh, you had a certain amount of healing that you could give your character. When you get to a meditation point, if you rest there, you can if you just use it, you'll save your game. So you can save. And if you die, you'll restart there. But if you want to get your health packs back, you need to rest and to meditate. And if you do that, all the enemies will respawn. Okay. Like uh, they will all come back. Now that's taken from dark souls. Like the, the idea that like you go to the bonfire or whatever, and then the enemies return. Right. What uh, in, in, in fallen order that was done pretty cleverly. And then you would unlock shortcuts back to meditation points in the same way as the, the from software thing works. But in this game, they they kept that mechanic, but they essentially make it so that you're never backtracking in that way. Like you unlock shortcuts that you never use because you're always moving forward, essentially, and you're always finding like like in the last game, the enemies coming back to life when you rested was a big deal. 
because you had to go back through those areas and then you'd have to fight them again. You're like, oh shit. Or the meditation point was slightly off. And then if you brought these guys back, you'd have to fight them again or whatever. In this case, you don't like, you really don't, you'll get a meditation point. And yes, it brings back all the enemies to life, but they're all behind you and you're moving forwards. So you're never going to see them again. So who gives a shit? Right. And then you just keep going. And by breaking that cardinal rule of the first game, it just it just makes that whole function not be as impactful and and when you take it away it it makes you more focused on oh i'm just climbing you know like i'm just Whereas I it felt like the last game really like it, the balance between climbing on stuff and fighting and, and combat encounters was much more balanced. Like there was more, there were more co combat encounters. Maybe that's just, maybe my memory is just of those combat encounters. But anyway, like I'm, I'm not quitting Ryan. I'm not, I'm not at the point yet where I'm quitting. Cause I don't have something that's jumping in as, a, as a replacement yet. Like, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth might be that if I shell out for that. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, but but it's not like right now I was like, this is a, somebody, you know, I got this as a gift over Christmas. And uh, I want, you know, like I want to get the most out of it that I can. But it's reaching that point where I'm, I'm not as much having fun with it anymore. And that's too bad because the music, the voice acting, like it's one of those things where you're building up a cantina and you go back after every kind of notable mission and all the characters have something new to say, you know, oh. like uh, in Baldur's Gate, when you go back to camp or when you go back to, um, uh, you know, like a mass effect in your ship, like it's like that, except they're not in your party. So you don't have like that level of relationship with them that you do um you know in those games but yeah it's it's a uh, it is cool um in that way and you see like it's painted with money like you see everything looks like it was super expensive to do um and there's not a ton of these like triple a quadruple a games out there much less star wars ones so i mean i guess it just bumps me out that the the only one to play is one where you're like prince of persia you're you're like just doing parkour all the time and i mean yeah. i you know it's, it's fine but it's not my first choice well here's what i'm thinking i think for next episode we'll check in on it i'll play it promise i'll play it i'm you brought up final fantasy 7 rebirth and and honestly uh it it's scoring amazing uh, it's getting great reviews um i was like actually thinking of waiting to pick it up uh but I'm having that feeling that I know I know you you get as well as like, man, it's scoring so like if 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 the reviews were lower, I could probably wait, but it's scoring like high nineties, mid nineties, and uh, I really enjoyed remake as well as the DLC. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Do I do I? I have a list of games from Christmas still. I have yet to finish sort of one big game that I got from Christmas. Uh, so I feel like I I feel like I have to stick to the list. You know. Uh, I even have Final Fantasy 16. You had brought this up. You have Final Fantasy 16. I do as well. And I'm kind of like, well, I don't want to go buy another Final Fantasy. I kind of should play the one I have. Considering Final Fantasy 16 also got great reviews, you know? So I don't know. No, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm in the same spot as you. And it's funny because, like, you know, I got Resident Evil 4 Remake 
which I which I haven't played yet, but it has 93 on Metacritic, the same as the Final Fantasy VII. Like, just like there are tons of good games. Uh, every everybody's talking about Helldivers too. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind you know you know d- jumping into that, but that would be buying a new game, and it's like buying buying stuff. I realized lately how many new games, how many games I have, and you know I think it's no surprise to longtime listeners of the show. I do have issues finishing games, and in fact. I tend to get, and this is what is so weird. I like, I get like about 80% through games. Um, And uh, what made me really think about that was the Elden Ring uh, DLC that they announced this week, uh, or not that they announced, but that they revealed this week with the the trailer and stuff. I realized like they, they said that the, the space the trailer will occupy is the size of Limgrave, which is the opening and probably biggest area in Elden Ring. Like in terms of landmass, it'll be about the same of, as Limgrave. And it occurred to me that like, you know, and everybody's stoked to play, play this to get more Elden Ring. I loved Elden Ring, probably put out like, I don't know, a hundred hours. I put a ton of time into it, and, but I did not finish it. And I got really far, and I don't even know what took me away. I think I had just played a lot of it. I wanted to play another game. I just put it down. But I was, like, in the mountains. Like, there's snow everywhere or whatever. And it was, like, pretty pretty far. Like, I had done a lot. I had beaten lots of major bosses. I knew I was in, like, the, the latter stages of the game. But, like, I, I never found Melania or whatever the, 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 uh, the super boss that people – talk about in fear like there's a bunch of there's a bunch of stuff i haven't done i guarantee you there's way more stuff that i haven't done in elden ring than than is in the dlc right and um it's this like red dead redemption 2 a fantastic game i got like 80 percent through the story or something like i was near the end of the story and then for whatever reason like fell off it there's just a lot of these amazing games that i never finished and i have so many games and so it is tough like as the prices have gone up a $90 experience. Like I've wanted to play that new Prince of Persia game. Uh, I didn't buy it. I wanted to play Asgard Wrath 2 on my VR headset. I didn't buy it. I just justifying the spend when I'm not going to like, unless I know I'm really, really going to play it and enjoy it. It's tough. It's tough right now. And then game pass is getting more and more. I don't have a game Pass subscription, but it's very tempting to just like pay 20 bucks for a month of game pass and then have like, every game imaginable persona three is one that appeals to me the new remake like it's on game pass i could just get that instead of paying paying 93 dollars and you know start playing it now right so it is it is uh it is tough but i will say that final fantasy 7 remake or rebirth rather is like in a year that does not have many announced heavyweight or like fighters in terms of video games like huge triple a you know games uh, that everybody is anticipating like this might be the one of the year like that at, at this level it it makes me much more likely to fold and jump in with everybody at the same time than than i would otherwise because i don't know what the next big thing is after this you know Although so far it's been a year of surprises. I don't think anybody saw Pal World or Helldivers 2 coming to the extent like it or, or even Yakuza Infinite Wealth. Like these are like all these games that are that are that are punching above their weight. So there may I hope that there's 10 more of those. But right now, in terms of anticipation, I can't think of a game that is more anticipated this year than that Final Fantasy VII game. 
you know, I have nostalgia for that. Ryan, do you think maybe the next game will be like a Betrayal at Crondor remake? Man, that would be insane. Get on it, Square. Well, well, it's funny. Like, I was looking at Betrayal at Crondor when I was buying it, and it's actually an Activision game. So technically, Microsoft now owns it, and they could remake it. So you never know. Maybe it'll come to Game Pass. Maybe it'll come to Game Pass. They could put Blizzard on it. Yeah. Yeah, Blizzard's not busy at all. They're... they're they got, hey, yeah, you know what? Yeah, get Blizzard on it. I think that'd be fine. Um, well, you know what? We'll we'll touch base uh, by the time we record next. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth will be out, and we'll see if any of us cave uh, and pick it up. I know the sort of release schedule um, is uh, is just it's. There's a lot coming out around this time frame, and um, we'll see what happens. But uh, let's. Uh, I wanted to talk about a book. I read a book, Crofton. Um, and I finished it. I actually was trying to finish it for last episode and, uh, I didn't quite make it in your book nook. Yeah. In my book nook. Yeah, I did. I, I was reading in my book nook. Um, funny enough, I w- almost had two books to talk about tonight, but, uh, uh because I used the library, um, it, someone else had the book on hold and I couldn't finish it in, in time. Although controversy, that person didn't pick it up. Because I, that son I, of a bitch. Yeah, after a week, it sat there on the shelf for them for a week, and then they said, "Okay, Ryan, you can come back and get it." So I'm going to get it this weekend to finish it. Um, it's probably the core boys. Probably, yeah they 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 put it on hold. I think you have to have man, that's elaborate. You have to have a Peterborough. You have to prove you you exist in Peterborough, like you live here, in order to get get a library book. Anyways. I wouldn't Libraries. put it past them. The one thing no. I would put past them, reading a book. <laughs> Oof, yeah. And I, you know what? You know, they're not going to go through the trouble to clip this out and play it on their show because they won't. They'll just continue to just, you know, say Crofton. That's totally Crofton. Um, but uh, the books that I was reading are by John uh, Scalzi. Uh, they were recommended by Korath in the Discord. I was asking for sort of recommendations because I had just finished all the, the 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 fourth Thursday Murder Club book, and I was looking for some others along the same lines. Like I think I think I figured out the tone of the books I really love to read, um, and uh, those are like the Thursday Murder Club books, uh, and uh, the other books that really worked for me were the Andy Weir books, um, specifically the project Hail Mary or Hail Mary project, whatever it's called. But it's this writing that is like, it's, it's fun. It's witty. It's light, but it has like, um, something super smart to it. So the Thursday murder club books were like, it was, it was the smart thing to it was just like, uh, the setting of this, like it's creative setting of, of these, um, this group of, uh, folks who live in an old folks home, um, solving murders, you know, and really running with that idea for four books. Like you honestly, like when you pitch the first book, it's like, okay, how do you do four of these, let alone two? And, and I think they figure that out. Um, and then Andy Weir's books, the, the smart angle to it is like the science, like there's just so much science in there. And like, uh, there would be articles if it was, you know, not based in some sort of reality, but like it, it, it just works and it feels great and it's fun to read and it's interesting. Um, and the two John Scalzi books that were recommended. And the one that I'm going to talk about today, uh, is, uh, Kaiju preservation society. That's the book I read. 
Um, the other book that I'm still working on is Starter Villain, which has a whole other sort of uh, uh, theme. But the the two things that kind of bring these two books together is this idea that like it's fun, it's witty, and it's got a really interesting angle to it. Like there's there's something going on here that like really makes it unique. So in the sense of Kaiju Preservation Society, you can kind of like figure out what it is. And of course it's, it has to do with kaijus, like big giant monsters, think Godzilla um, and, and the like. And basically, so this book was actually written during the pandemic, uh, the height of the pandemic. And it does feature quite heavily uh, uh, the pandemic as well. It's sort of like a background character, essentially early on in the book. The, the main character uh, gets this job offer to work for the uh, KPS organization uh, and and later finds out it is the Kaiju Preservation Society. And their job is to preserve Kaijus. Kaijus are real and they exist. And I don't want to... Jeez, what a twist. Yeah, exactly. Like that's in the title, right? And I don't want to spoil sort of like like it's it's interesting because the whole it's a short book it's it's you know it's average length about 200 300 pages but like i think from beginning middle end uh especially at the 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 first 100 pages is they're sort of setting up this world and how the kaiju preservation society works and the and the sort of i don't want to say science behind it but the explanation behind how it all makes sense within this book's universe is just it's so um, creative and interesting and a lot of fun. And I, I don't want to spoil it because that was part of the the fun I had was just discovering like, okay, how is this author going to convince me that this setup makes sense? You know, so there are a lot of kaijus. There are adventures. There are antics. There are great uh, and witty characters. Um, and I almost talked about this book last week because i was like because i was very close i had like the last 20 pages and i'm like well but what if the ending sort of bombs and uh i gotta say like i'm glad i waited because i was able to finish it um but yeah it beginning middle end it's a great read and it's light so it's like similar to thursday murder club in the sense that like it's a standalone book you're you've got this one set of characters to learn about and and the rules of this world and after the first hundred pages, it all sort of clicks, and then you're living in this world, and you're just getting to experience this character's adventures. So, uh, great recommendation. I loved it. It fit well within sort of the other books that I've talked about here that I really enjoyed uh, last year. And uh, Crofton, if you ever find yourself in the library, you might be able to find this one. It is excellent. I think you'd you'd really enjoy it. And uh, I think it would also make a really great movie, although really tough to make into a movie in the sense that like, obviously you have a lot of Godzilla and, and uh, other sort of monster movies that, uh, that might not, uh, that might not give this, this one room to breathe, but um, it's really cool. I dug it. I really liked it. Oh, I'm glad to hear. I, I am, I am actually reading a, the third Thursday murder club, uh, book right now and it is uh funny because um you know i won't spend time on it we've spent a lot of time on this series before you just mentioned it a, co- a couple of times but um i i will say what struck me so far on this one and i'm 
like 180 pages in already and I started reading it like three days ago or whatever, like not long, um, is the absolute, like I don't think in my life there has been less friction reading a book. Uh, I, I, you know, we, we talk about like that immersion point, first 50 pages to get in. Like you got to get to know the characters, the situations, like before you're in it to win it, like what's that immersion point. And obviously book series make it so much easier the same way that TV series, like you watch a new episode of the office, it's easier to get into the plot. than if you watch a new movie where you're getting to, to know all the characters, right? Like as soon as you know the characters, then that makes it easier. And so, but I was just struck this time by like, cause I hadn't read the second book for over a year. And I was like, okay, I'm going to read the third book now. Let me see. And then like, I mean, I was like 30 pages in like pretty fast. And I'm like, okay, it's just like goes down so, so easy. So uh, that I think that's more of a less, maybe it's less of a Thursday murder club thing and more just book series in general. My wife is always look. She's my wife is not looking for books. She's looking for series because she's right. like a speed reader. She's always like, what's a good series? Like they're always talking about series. And I definitely understand the appeal of series because you're just like, if you're into it, then it's like, you know, I'm just going to go to the next one. I'm just going to go to the next one. So, uh, yeah, it is, uh, it is fun. And, um, so far, this one's just as you know as good as the others. The, the 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 why of like why the same stuff keeps happening to the same people is handled pretty well so far on this one. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to finishing it. And then I have a whole other one in this series after it. So yeah, uh, that but. After I'm caught up, Ryan, I do want to find new books. So I am glad to hear that you're reading books like this one and you're able to say like, hey, you should check this one out because I'm I'm keen to uh, to find something of the same tone as well. I think you and I are aligned on tone. Yeah, I, I, I get the sense that you and I have a similar sort of vibe for books. And, um, you know, for me, it's got to be fun characters, fun world and just something unique, something different. And I think both these books, Kaiju Preservation Society and Starter Villain, which we'll talk about next episode by John Scalzi, are both fit that to a T. And outside, like, and they are one-offs. You know, as far as I can tell, uh, there's uh, he, he these these books just came out. Like one was last year, and the one was a couple years before that. So they're not part of a series. They are one-offs. But honestly, like. Uh, having finished Kaiju Preservation Society, I could see it being, you know, I could see there being another story, um, but it might, it might also like lose its uniqueness if you, if you did one too many. So, but it, it's a fun, it's a fun read. I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, a lot of fun characters. I was thinking about this right while you were talking about like how if they did like a novelize novelization of Jedi Survivor, <laughs> but like but but they didn't just do the story that they, they like literally did like minute to minute what he was doing, and like there would be like fifty page stretches of like Cal then summoned his strength to run up a long wall and then jump, followed by a second jump into a flip and then a air dash he grabbed onto the pipe he felt his hand slipping but he managed to swing himself onto another wall of which he 
ran as well, and then did another flip and air dash to finally get to the shortcut that brought him back to that sacred meditation spot. You know, like I just like, you would read it and be like, okay, all right, I get it. He did a lot of parkour, you know, like whatever. Yes, he did. Yeah. So a lot of video games, I would think the novelization of many video games as written as they are played would be very funny. (laughs) There are, there are surprisingly a lot of video game novelizations. You know, I know Halo, I've read the Halo ones. I've read some of the Halo ones. And, uh, and I think there are like some Resident Evil ones as well. Um, you know, it, it might surprise you, but when they adapt it and they, and they create an adaptation of the video game, they, they remove a lot of that, uh, meandering, you know? I think, I think they should, they should leave it all in. They should do one, one that includes all of it. And, uh, it would be, it would be like 800 pages of which like 500 it's just complete superfluous traversal. Uh, I think I think there's a market for that, Ryan. I really maybe, do. maybe. Uh, you've got uh, Paper Mario listed here. Have you been oh, playing yeah. Paper Mario? I won't put that on too long, other than to say that, um, like, so for parents who have like kids of different ages, like you know, you have your first kid, and you do, you, like gamers in particular, you're you're really. Or, or any enthusiast, like my brother really wanted to get his daughter into skiing and went really hard on, on getting her into skiing. And like, I, I really wanted to play video games with Gwen when she was really young, right? Like I was, I was pushing the pace a little bit, like your first kid, but then you have your second kid or in Ryan's case, I don't know, seventh kid or whatever. And like, you're, you're. You're sort of like there is the novelty is it as there with your first kid and your first kid is older. So now they can play even more dynamic and interesting games. So it is very possible that you sort of don't give that same level of attention to your second kid. And it's not malicious. It just is the natural course of things a little bit, the way things go as a parent. So I've been really kind of mindful of that with Clara because Clara has been less into video games than than Gwen but she's grown quite a bit lately like she's coming up on her sixth birthday um and uh she's yeah she's like got a lot a lot more interest in this sort of stuff and you know we played Luigi's Mansion together in the fall and I started looking into um games that I had on switch that I had played with Gwen that you know maybe Clara would like playing so we we uh I settled on Paper Mario Origami uh, King, I think, and it's the Switch Paper Mario game. I've talked about it on the show before when I played it with Gwen probably years ago now. Um, The game came out in 2020, I think, uh, which is kind of funny because it didn't feel like that long ago, but it's 2024. So, I mean, that's a long time in the life of a kid. Like, Gwen doesn't really remember a lot of what happened in that game, and she's been keen on it a little bit as well so i've been playing it with uh but with with clara and i remember it very well uh because i'm an adult and um i will say that that especially on second playthrough that game is real like what it does great is amazing which is the the world the story everything that surrounds the aesthetic like the the origami meets paper aesthetic but like I know you talked about this when I brought this up originally because you were talking about Paper Mario the Thousand Year Door and and how it's the best one of these sort of Paper Marios. And I was like, well, this one is really good. But the combat system, which 
was annoying the first time I played is almost unbearable a second time through. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it involves like rotating, uh, like Mario, Paper Mario is in the middle of like essentially a, a, a circular grid that you have to rotate around and to, to, to line up the enemies in a way that you can jump on all of their heads to do maximum amounts of damage. And if you don't do it properly, they'll summon more enemies and it just goes on and on and on. And then to make matters even more interesting slash worse, when you get to a boss fight, it's a, just a completely different way of, of combat and arguably much more interesting, but only for the bosses. And so, uh, it's just, it's just, um, I am enjoying playing with Clara. Clara loves it. She's really into the story, but she hates the combat. I hate the combat. And I kind of just were, wish that there was like an option where you could just turn it straight off, straight off and just walk around until you eventually get to a boss fight and do that boss fight. And that, right. you know, that, that's it. So I would say Paper Mario Origami King, if you haven't played it, is a great game to play with your kids like even if like a five-year-old as long as you're willing to do all the voices because you got to read all the characters like it's great super enjoyable uh, worlds tons of secret toads to find stuff to to unlock it's so so well done uh cutesy well put together uh but you know the one of the, again like i talked about jedi Survi uh, jedi survivor having like no gameplay that really sold it to me this is kind of worse in a way cuz it kind of does the exploration stuff does in in paper mario but what sucks like it has a gameplay mechanic that literally like when clara asks me to play it i'm like oh i guess and uh that kind of that kind of feels sh shitty. I don't want that to put people off playing it with their kids, though, because I think it is a fantastic game. It's just that – or sorry. It is, a, it is a very good game. Fantastic might be overselling it. And it's just that I, having played it already once before – I no longer have tolerance for this. And the, the closest I would, I would uh, draw a comparison to is something like an RPG in the PlayStation one era where with a ton of random encounters where like, you know, you get, you're like, okay, like these are a lot of random encounters. I'm, I'm, I, I just want to get to the next story beat, or I just want to see the next thing. I'm enjoying everything, but like the random encounters are a little much. This is like that whenever there's a fight, I'm just like, Oh no, you know? Um, and uh, to make it worse, they have this mechanic where like when Mario gets a bit stronger, if you can sneak up on the person in the fight and, and like hit them with your hammer, it you'll just defeat them and you won't engage in the fight, uh, which is so great. You're just like, Oh God, that's one fight I don't have to do, but almost nine times out of 10, I will try to sneak up on them. They'll see me coming, turn around and then the fight will start. And I'll be like, Oh, because there's a brief moment where I'm like, I could have gotten out of this fight, but instead I have to do it. And it's going to take like 10 minutes. And also if my kids appreciated the combat, that would be one thing, but they won't, they, they're just like, can you like make yeah. this end? Like, and uh, I'm like, yeah, just give me a second, you know, click, yeah. click, click, click. I think, uh, and we've, we, we talked about this before like paper mario is a series and i feel like this is partially my fault because when paper mario came out it was the spiritual successor to super mario rpg nintendo didn't continue their relationship with square uh or square enix uh 
they went on to make Final Fantasy for PlayStation and basically ignored Nintendo for a generation or two. Um, and Nintendo said, well, we're going to take our ball and go home. They didn't continue Super Mario RPG. They made Paper Mario, which for everything outside of the uh, the look of the game and that it had a more paper feel, it still had the turn-based combat, the great writing, and all that fun stuff. It was, a, a for everything it was, it was a great sort of continuation but for me it wasn't a continuation of my favorite game ever so i kind of like you know kept it at arm's length then you get to thousand year door on the gamecube everyone loves it it is the pinnacle of that franchise of paper mario and then after that nintendo would continue to make these paper mario games but always introduce some sort of wrinkle on the combat or and remove elements that made it more of an RPG, like no more gear you're equipping, no more leveling up. And I remember I felt it first with the uh, the 3DS one, Sticker Star, where you had to use stickers in combat and stuff, and it, it the gimmick affected the combat, which for the most part in a turn-based RPG, that's the fun part, right? You look forward to the combat. And you bringing up the sort of weird gosh like ring combat system where you're not in a ring but you're literally like turning rings like every piece of combat was a puzzle and it's it it was yeah playing through it again i remember really enjoying playing it with caden and abby but like playing it again even caden was like well what games can i play by myself because he's looking to play games by himself now and i said well why don't you try paper mario and he started and he enjoys reading the the you know the dialogue it's all fairly simple reading but the combat was always like, well, I can't do this. It's too difficult. It's too complex. And and he's not wrong. Like it was it's yeah. almost it's almost like they just made it more complex for whatever sake. But everything else about that game is fantastic. Like I'll go as no, far I, as say it's fantastic. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I would go so far as to say everything other than the combat is fantastic as well. There's so many little scenes and things in it that are so clever. Like no, it's it, and uh, like Ryan, I have not played Paper Mario: The Thousand Year Door, and I know a lot of people have sort of put down this year for the Switch, being like, "Oh, Nintendo's just riding up the Switch," you know, um, in anticipation of the Switch Two. They're just doing like a Luigi's Mansion Two HD remake or whatever, or a Paper Mario. You could not pick better games for me personally. I missed these games. I wasn't able to play them, and like, wow, like I can get these. Like, you know, I I am. Uh, so I'm I I am stoked to play that version because if Paper Mario Thousand Year Door gives me everything that I love about this Paper Mario, but with a good combat system that's not annoying, then man, sign me up, right? Like so, um, so yeah, no, I I, I just I mean, it, there's so many great kid games on the Switch, and I really do feel that Super Mario RPG or Super Mario Paper Mario like occupies a very good niche and. Uh, uh, like as kids first RPG with, with mom or dad. And, and I would still recommend this one. It's just a, as a, as a replay a second time, it's, it's, it's tough. Right. Um, uh, that's the, the one thing that I, I would, I would say on it. Yeah, no, that, that's uh that makes sense. All right. Well, uh, if you made it this far an hour and a half into the show and you thought, I thought Ryan said he was, we were going to talk about anime. This is the wrestling thing all over again. Um, Hey, you've made it to the part of the show. What what's going on? 
It's anime. Let's talk about anime, everybody. This is uh, Ryan watched an anime. I watched Zom 100, Bucket List of the Dead. I love how I play the theme song, and Crompton's like, what's happening right now? Well, you could have brought a theme song for WrestleMania, but you didn't. So. Oh, man. You mean I can bring voice clips for wrestling? I will sure. remember that. You, you remember. So, Crofton will remember. Yeah, yeah, a little telltale game there. So um, this is a bit of a, a double dip for me. This is a, an anime we watched for uh, Zombies Ate My Podcast. This is a zombie anime. Um, but it is the most fun I've had watching a zombie project. Like, uh, we watch a lot of zombie content and for the most part, you watch zombie content for the story, the, the, you know, the, the action, uh, you know, sometimes folks watch it for the effects, like the gore and stuff. But like, for me, it's usually about the story, but the stories of course are never fun because like well people are dying it's the apocalypse like it's not a it's not a great time to be around um of course there are some zombie projects that kind of fit that mold where it is fun but still the zombie apocalypse like zombie land and and uh well zombie land 2 but this one zom 100 bucket list of the dead it's an anime it's on netflix it's based on a manga it's also got a live action adaptation on netflix as well i haven't watched it yet but uh, the anime is fully available, uh, both sub and dub, on Netflix. And the basic premise is that our main character um, works for a company uh, that basically is crushing his soul. He has to work, you know, days at a time. He gets no sleep. He was so looking forward to working for this company. And, of course, this company is just crushing his soul, sapping his energy. And... He, you meet this character three years into this, very tired, very tired. Sounds like a real feel-good story, Ryan. I know, I'm getting to it, I'm getting to it. So, of course, yes, I, you know, leading up to this point, it's like, okay, where's the fun, where's the zombies? Well, the zombie apocalypse hits, and this character um, is overjoyed. He realizes, like, I don't have to go into work today because it's the zombie apocalypse, and the show kind of progresses from there where this character starts to make a bucket list, all the things he wants to do before he turns into a zombie. Because uh, he figures, you know, time is fleeting, it's going to happen eventually. And this character is just so positive about everything uh, he does in this world. Like, he he reunites with a long-lost friend, he wants to go back to see his parents, and there's this whole adventure that they go on, and it's just it's just so positive. It's so fun. And, uh, of course there are still zombies present and, and, uh, you know, things go down, but for the most part, like it is a, it is a fun zombie anime. It's really good. I mean, I think you might, you might enjoy this craft. And like, honestly, like I think about, uh, I think about like the type of shows we like to watch and this one's got a great animation style. Uh, it looks great. The, the, the dubs are really good. Like I watched the whole thing, you know, English dubbed and I, uh, it was great and it's very silly. It doesn't take itself seriously at all to the point where there is a, there's a character who wants to be a stand up comedian. And part of his act is that he always gets naked. Like that's his thing. Uh, it's part of his act. Uh, and it, like I said, the show, <laughs> the show goes places, but it is, it is a, it is just a fun ride. I think you dig it. Oh, really? Did Ashley like it? 
No, Ashley did not watch this uh, with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Ashley does not watch any uh, zombie content with me. Like she can't, she can't handle oh. it. But okay, okay. This one doesn't yeah. have the gore to it. Like the the zombie apocalypse is happening, and of course the zombies present danger, and people do die. But like, it's not like The Walking Dead where you have to worry like, oh, which main character is going to bite it? You know. Um, it's just a very creative show, and it, it has a lot of fun with, with the genre without punishing the viewer for liking a character. You know, like, oh, I really like this character. Oh, they died, you know, because that's the writing. That's how we keep this show on the air. Kill characters off, you know? Um, are there uh, waifus in it? Yes. Yeah, there are. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe this is your time to get in on on that, I guess. I don't know. Uh I th- okay, I, no, I, I, th- good I guess to, there are. Good good to know. Oh, yeah, you guess, eh? Okay. I um, assume so. I don't know what, like, I, I believe it fits the criteria, yes. Look, I will commit, I'll tell you, I will commit right now to Googling this show. Oh, Google that's, it right that, now, then, if that's your commitment, because we might as well just get it over with. What, why Why Google it right now? We're in the middle of the show, Because we can get show, your Ryan. live reaction. You can Google stuff while we do. I Google right. stuff all the time. While you know, we're, while you we're know what? Okay, fine. I'm going to Google. I'm going to Google image search this and see what comes up. So t- tell me, tell me, what's the name of the show again? So it's Zom 100, Bucket List of the Dead. And while you're oh, looking here. that up, there's a very cool aspect to it, like a visual style for the zombies. Like rather uh-huh. than showing a lot of blood, um, it kind of looks as if uh, uh, there's like like a paintball m- a match has gone on. Like instead of blood, they show a lot of like colorful colors uh, across the zombies and such to kind of portray the blood. So they, like, again, oh. it's a very fun and colorful show. So wait a second. Sorry, I'm confused here. Is this a is this an anime show? It is. Yeah, I said it was an anime. It's the anime corner. What are we doing? I Well, I searched and it looks like it's a live action. There Netflix is a live build. action. Yeah, there is a live action adaptation. But I watched. We're talking about the anime. Uh, oh, so, so this was so successful that Netflix made a live action Netflix show. and But you're, you're talking about the anime of which like all the images here are that Netflix show. Or the and Here, some I'm gonna, manga. I'm gonna throw a link in, and you can at least look at the IMDb page, and that'll give you an idea. This IMDb. is not for the kids. It is a it is a mature title. Um, you're not gonna want. But it's watch a it cartoon, Ryan. Well, it okay, is a let, cartoon. Let me see. Uh, oh, I see. I see. It does look like anime. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay, well, uh, there's a shark flying in the sky. That's oh yes, yeah. There's a whole bit where there's a zombie shark with the uh, uh, the zombie shark had swallowed a bunch of divers. So the zombie shark, while a zombie, also has like zombies inside of the shark. So it has legs and is able to run around. Again, the show is fantastic. I really enjoyed it, and I'm not going to say like you you even if you hate zombies, you're going to like this. Like I think you have to enjoy the idea of the zombie genre yeah. in order to get into this for sure. I, I will be honest, the idea like the, cause the one liner, which you have very well described already, a worker in a foreign finance company is bullied and worked around the clock before a zombie outbreak finally makes him feel alive yes. is a very 
like interesting concept on the sort of you know zombie zombie apocalypse so yeah i will say like looking at all the pictures and stuff i mean again it look i mean it looks like anime bullshit like in the sense of the you <laughs> know in the in the sense of like it's got all the all the the tropes of what people love about anime and that sort of stuff in the like yeah but but that said, don't judge a book by your co- by its cover. I'm I'm sure that that uh, like this in the tone of it and the the type of show that it is might be something a bit different. And again, like I liked the cyberpunk anime, and it was like like if I looked at screenshots of that, or even watching it in action, I'm like, this is some anime bullshit. But then at the end of the day, I'm left remembering that show and thinking about it often and all of that. And there's something about these about how they're able to use this medium to leave an impression that I do find very compelling and so like the, like the concept of this especially if it wraps up this isn't an ongoing series this is like a a, a one and done sort of deal uh uh Ryan like it's not just like one of those what's what's the Yuffie pirate guy that just goes on forever oh uh one piece this is uh it's got more manga that it can adapt. And I, I hope there's a season two because it, it ends, uh, it doesn't end on a cliffhanger, but it ends on a, like a, we could do more adventures type deal. Right. Um, but, uh, I think for everyone at home and yourself as well, Crofton, like, and this is something we don't have to do right now, but go watch the intro, uh, the intro animation and the intro song, which I played a little bit at the top of the segment, go watch that on YouTube and it is just again it gives you a, such a good idea of how much fun this show sort of tries to be and 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 attempts and and accomplishes quite often like it most of the episodes are just about doing something fun like whether you're saving people or uh one is all about like just visiting um locations in uh in japan as 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 a tourist so they come across this like tourist who who's a big fan of japan and they they're like well let's just spend the episode you know crossing things off your bucket list and we're gonna go visit some some places right and and just within the zombie sort of apocalypse as well and and uh it's got look yeah it's got some anime bullshit i get it right no 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 that's okay don't judge the book by its cover i get it I get it. I, I'm open to learning more about this. And perhaps like if you would challenge me to watch an anime, I probably would have picked this one based on your recommendation, but you didn't make that challenge. So I probably won't watch it, but here's the thing. <laughs> uh, speaking of wrestling, I did want to uh, talk about one little like side anecdote before we go into the main topic. Uh, so I got, as listeners of last episode will remember, I was super jacked because we are on the road to WrestleMania and I made the mistake of showing my kids wrestling. Um, oh, and, okay. And, and so this was a mistake because like, wrestling is now PG. It's not like, like it was in the attitude area. It's supposed to be better, but like, of course they push the envelope. They didn't actually watch any fighting. They just wanted to see promo segments in which are like when they do cut, interviews or say catchphrases and where they they come out to big entrances and stuff like that now i was all jacked up because the rock was back and so i made a mistake of showing them some of the rocks clips and a lot of the rocks clips you cannot show kids just for the record do not show kids clips of the rock there there's a tip for you however 
I did show them some of the ones that I thought were okay. And they, the rock has a lot of catchphrases and one of his m many catchphrases is, um, is, uh, is asking somebody what they think about something and then telling them he does not care what they think. And the way that he does that is he will say, so what do you think about this? Or what's your name, son? And the person will start saying, and he will, he will then respond with, it doesn't matter what your name is. And, and uh, the kids uh, saw a couple of these clips and have essentially owned me with them all week. Um, and uh, so, you know, Gwen will say um, something along the lines of, Dad, do you think that we should go outside and shovel? And I'll, and I'll, I will be like, well, I, I guess we, and then, and then she will say, it doesn't matter what you think. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> or, no. and so, so I, I've created a monster in particular. Um, Clara has latched onto the word jabroni, which, uh, uh, I've told her she cannot say at school, and I think that she knows, although she's whispered it to her friend Onyx at school. But, um, but, uh, like, like a Hail Hydra type thing, like, just yeah. whispering it, <laughs> hey, give me that jabroni, hey, uh, but, jabroni. Uh, but I was, uh, I was walking back from school with her today, and I said, uh, she was talking about this great cupcake she ate. Because uh, it was some kid's birthday, and I said, "Hey, you know, we bought some cupcakes at home from the grocery store, vanilla cupcakes." And then she just takes off running, and I'm like, "Where are you going?" And she's like, "I'm running to get the cupcakes, jabroni!" And uh, runs around the corner, and I was just like, "Oh God, what have I done?" Needless to say, my wife has been a huge fan of these developments. All right, now for our topic of the week. Uh, with all that said. Ryan, our topic this this week in the family corner, the diaper section of which there are no di diapers anymore, is uh, the family car. So, Ryan, I thought uh, we could start this section by you regaling us of the story of your new car because you have a new car. So why did you buy it? How did you buy it? What's it like out there in terms Ooh. of car buying? You know, hit us right. with the deets. Right. So um, it's it's kind of funny that you, you throw it to me because like I, I didn't buy. So when you buy a new car, like obviously I didn't sit there. Oh, I bought a two door, you know, with like a like a half back seat. Like I definitely didn't do that. But uh, I didn't buy like a second van. Like our primary vehicle is, is the van. We did one trip to uh, Montreal. We drove to Montreal uh, with Caden. He was three months old and it was a four door car. And we immediately after that was like, well, that won't work, especially considering we wanted to have multiple children. Um, so we got the van. Now, this second car that uh, we got rid of the, the car and then, you know, we was like, OK, we're going to need a, a second one because really what's happening is we're being pulled in two different directions, soon to be three now that uh, Isabel's getting getting older so it, it, there was a lot of factors that led to like, okay, we're going to have to, we're going to have to pick up the second vehicle so that, so that Ashley can get to work and I can get to work and pick kids up and all that fun stuff. Um, so when we went to get the vehicle, it, it's kind of funny. Like Ashley did all the research. She found the vehicle. I'm not a car person. I'm like, just, it's gotta, 
I got to test drive it. I got to enjoy the test drive. And then I think we're good. And as long as the price is good and everything, you know, no alarm bells are going off because uh, it's a big purchase, you know, and, and I I would listen to my gut if, if anything came up. But uh, it was a fairly simple process. We actually found the car, went to do the test drive. I wanted to make sure the car had enough space that I could pick at least two of the kids up. Uh, and then eventually once they're out of car seats, or at least one of them is out of car seats, we could, they could all three of them fit in the back. Um, but by no means am I like putting everybody into the car. We got a Kia soul. Not everyone's getting in there and we're, we're going on trips. Like it's, it doesn't fit everyone comfortably, but it was certainly an aspect because partially we bought it because I sometimes need to go. I need to be able to actually needs to be able to go to work and I need to be able to pick up the kids if anything were to, happen at school or daycare um but yeah it was a it was a fairly simple process like uh scary these days how simple it is to to buy something that is so inexpensive uh or so sorry so expensive um but uh but yeah i was i was kind of alarmed how easy it was uh and uh and yeah we've been too current it for a while you didn't have to wait no, we did not buy new. So I don't buy new. We bought used uh, right. from a pretty reputable uh, spot here in town. And uh, and yeah, like I don't like the idea of buying a new car and then having it immediately lose a lot of its value the second you drive it off the lot. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I, I just can't do it. You know, my my parents, when we were growing up, always had used vehicles. Same here. Uh, you know, and I think that's changed a little bit. I think my parents have bought a few new ones now, but I think back in back in the day, like the, it was what we could afford were used vehicles, and like that's where I'm at right now. Is like not only do I feel weird about having like a lease or or like a new car, I'm fine with a used vehicle as long as it as long as it can get me from point A to point B and safely transport the family. Like that's kind of like where my head's at like because i'm not a car person you know well you touched on a couple of things that i find are interesting in that story first off the fact that you guys need two cars so that that is i think a common occurrence it's not just you guys but i think the people's needs in terms of uh, of of what they're doing um is important like so we my wife does essentially does not drive like she she has her license, but she she has not driven for years. Uh, I'm the primary driver for the household. It means that the only person who's going to be driving the car is me, which means that we only need one car. Um, secondly, we live in essentially, uh, I don't want to say a downtown space, but pretty close with great access to public transit. Um, the school is walkable. Uh, you know, I work from home a lot of the time. Groceries can even be delivered now. We've been doing doing that through this service. So, like in terms of the amount of times I I actually need to use the car, I'm fortunate in that I don't need to use it that often, uh, and I only need to have one car. So, knowing what your needs are, I think for a family car is is, is important. And one of the things that pe- that blows people's minds, uh, and I don't even really get it, is is the size of our car. Like, so I have. Um, a Hyundai Elantra, which is, uh, you know, like a fairly comp- 
like it's a compact car. It's not the smallest Hyundai. That's I think it's still the Accent, but it's then the the next one. Um, it's got like four doors and stuff, but it's not like it's not huge. Uh, I got my license late in life, and therefore I haven't driven a ton of cars. But I bought this car um, in twenty. I think it was like twenty fifteen. And it's a 2014 or something. So like, uh-huh. it's like a 10 year, 10 year old car, but I bought it from a Hertz rent a car dealership. And it had been it just to put in perspective, like the amount, you know, the amount that I drive, the thing about like, it's a kind of a, a, a big secret to buy from these rent a car places. Cause essentially what they do is they, they have to unload their cars every year and they, they buy these cars and, um, and then they drive them so heavy for an entire year, and then and then afterwards um, they they sell them and buy new cars for the next year. Like it's crazy. So I was buying a car that in a year had been driven for like sixty five thousand kilometers, right? Um, so or or no, sorry, I think it was sixty thousand kilometers. This makes a difference only because. Again, it's like a 2014. I think I bought in 2015, if I recall correctly. And it's 2024 and my car is still under 100,000 kilometers, right? Right. So so that means in 10 years, I've driven less than 40,000 kilometers, right? Um, Which is not not much. My brother constantly laughs at it, but uh, so, so obviously it doesn't make sense for me to invest a ton of money in my car. If I'm not, if I'm not driving it. But the other thing is that during that 10 years, like I've had a second kid and those two kids have started to grow. And, you know, like I, I do think that people want so much space in their cars. And I understand, like, I don't have big dogs. I don't like, like, I, I get why you want a bigger vehicle. I, I I do somewhat like you can transport things, but like I don't even have a roof rack and like the um, the container on the roof that some of my friends have that would like double my storage. And like we go on trips, we've been on camping trips, we've been on like yes, I have to Tetris the the trunk. It's a hatchback in the back. I have to try to find a way to fit things, but like we make do. And honestly. You know, sometimes my feeling is that when it comes to cars, people think that when they're doing an inventory of what their needs are, they they think that they need X, Y, Z, like they need a big vehicle or they need this much storage or they need all of this sort of stuff because they just want that. And and so they conflate the two things, right? Like, I'm not saying this to you in particular. You've got three kids. That makes a huge difference. If I had a third kid right now, I would absolutely be thinking about a bigger vehicle. But, like, I mean, it, it's really, like, even 10 years down the line, it is still not tight in there. Like, when we're all four driving, we're all sitting comfortably. Yeah. And, you know, it's just – it's crazy. Because when I was a kid, Ryan, like, my parents, you know – we we they they pretty quickly needed to get bigger vehicles. I don't know. If, I think space wasn't used as efficiently in the the smaller cars as it is now. Like we got, um, we had one of those Pontiac station wagons uh, <laughs> that we would drive down to Florida in, and like like the ones in, from Chevy Chase Christmas Carol where he puts the tree on the roof. But like the two seats in the back, in the very back, like there were there was there was 
you know, a bench in the middle for the, and then two seats in the very back that faced the back. And like, I would, I would sit in those all the way down to Florida and stuff. And it was really like a family car until it pooched out. And then they, they replaced it with a minivan, uh, which made again, perfect sense. We were three boys, uh, two of which were in hockey with these big hockey bags and pads and stuff like that. That's obviously what you want. Right. But, um, but it is funny because my reality is, is so different. And yes, like when I take Clara to ski lessons, I'm trying to get my skis. In. And like I could have my car set up better, but I just feel like like getting one of these cars, uh, trying try to buy, buy a – like if you're not using your car that often, like I'm not. like, And again, I'm in a fortunate situation that I don't have to use my car that often. I get it. Uh, but like if you're in that situation – like don't buy a top of the line car that you're going to be paying lease payments on every month and barely driving or whatever, right? Like or like think long and hard before you up your cost to to a bit to, to like do you need that space? And you might think you do and you might be very much right. But but you might just want it and that's what you're really like could you make it work with a smaller car if it saves you a little bit of money a month? Maybe and maybe that's 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 worth it. That, that that's my. I I try not to be too preachy on this because I feel like, I feel like with good, bad, or bullshit. The previous podcast I did, we would draw topics, and you're always speaking from your personal experience, and I come from a p- position of privilege, and I don't want to make pe- people feel either way about this. But I just see so much money being spent on cars, and I just think that like, man, you don't need people don't need as big. You don't need two giant gas guzzlers. Most families don't, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's my my two cents. Yeah, I I mean I, I disagree in the sense that I think I think uh I think a minivan is like a lot of people I think you know, some of Ashley's sisters give her heck for having a minivan. It's like, oh a minivan, here comes a minivan, Ashley's. But honestly, being able to fit everything you need when you go on a trip, like, like in everything your kids need, like, I don't know about you, but our kids, like they don't pack light. They've got a whole, like, I remember when they were smaller than they are now, they would have a garbage bag each filled with bedtime stuff. And I know as a parent, you could be like, well, you're, you're bringing your pillow and one stuffy and that's it, you know? But I, I've really appreciated having the space, especially our kids who, who do love to, and I know you said we have, we do have three, but they like, they like their space and the vans these, these days, like, it's not like when I was growing up, we had a van, but there were four of us, you know, me and my three brothers. I always say to my parents, like, I don't know how you did four, but, uh, they did it. And, uh, you know, and I remember the vans back then, like, you the seats were like these they would fold up into these weird contraptions but they were like they were heavy and and they sort of existed as these like things you could take out but they were not fun to take out but crofton i don't know if you've experienced the wonder that is the stow and go technology that they have in vans these days and and have had for for quite a while at least a decade where the the seats they you open up a compartment and you fold them down with just a click of the button and they like shoot into the floor of the van and then you can kind of cover them up. And then all of a sudden you've got a completely free van, you know, just that's amazing. It's amazing. You could fit. No, no, I'm serious. That sounds super sweet. 
I, it is great. You could fit two by fours back there. I remember when we were doing a lot of renos, we were like going to Home Depot. I was like, who needs a truck? We've got the minivan with Stone Go, you know. Um, and I, I, I like having that space. I like having that versatility. And really, like the van was the family car, is the family car. And the Saturn I had before, the four-door, that I got, you know, I, I started a job and I said to my parents, like, I'm going to need a vehicle so I can get across town. I, w- I want to be able to drive. I know I could have taken the bus, but it's it's just easier. The transit system in this town is not great. Uh, but so my parents, the, my parents asked, well, what do you want with the car? I said, well, four doors, air conditioning, power windows, power locks, and, you know, a darker color, like not a like a white or a, you know, a, a lime green. Like, so they went to some dealership they they found the car black four-door saturn uh with all the all the things they drove it up i didn't even see it i mean i paid for it but i didn't even see it they drove it up. that's how much of a car guy i'm not uh but uh that car was always like ryan needs to go take one person somewhere like one kid or needs to get to work and and the kia soul we have now is the same idea like it's not the family car but it is our like 0.5 0.5 car like we don't have we do have two vehicles and we are paying for it but it is because oftentimes we have to be in two different places at once you know but like you're not to be clear you're not by getting two giant vans no right? of course not i i would never yeah. like there's some people who would ryan <laughs> oh yeah and no i know and there's always those folks that would for sure and that's what I mean. I'm not trying to pick on. I'm not, I'm just trying to say that that people tend with cars. I find and the, their family car to be like, oh, I need this and I need this thing and I need that thing or whatever. Like and and then they're really concerned about finances, and they bought a new car and they're they're they got like you know a, a, a they have a big family so I bought a big car. Uh, you know, or, or they might like when you're saying about the garbage bag stuff, I'm, not, I'm just like, no, I'm like, I would not let my kids bring a garbage bag full of crap. I'm like, I would be like, like, look, you get this much space. I'm putting in, you know, I'm bringing your in, in your stuff. So, I mean, I mean, if you have like, l- let me put it this way. If you have a space, you will fill it. And so, so, I mean, I bet a lot of people right now would have a big car and they would, they would think about that car and be like, well, I mean, I could never have a smaller car. My, I use every square inch of my existing car. I'm like, of course you do. You know, like, of course you do. And maybe that's worth it. Maybe that's worth worth it. And like, you know, I haven't bought a car in years, right? So it's it's not a. But I'm I'm coming up to having to buy another car, and I will buy a bigger car when I, when I buy a next one because my kids will be bigger. Gwen, Gwen's already a bit of a giant. So you do have to future proof in like in, in buying. And like, I really do want to buy a, you know, a, 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 an electric car or something that, that is less environmentally, you know, unfriendly, but at the same point I drive so little that I feel like it would be more environmentally unfriendly for me to get rid of my existing car that has less than a hundred thousand kilometers on it in favor of a whole new electric car, you know, like, so um, it's, it's a balance. Yeah, it is. And I think that, uh, um, like we, we, we tried really hard for a good couple years on just the van and, and it did result in a lot of like, okay, I gotta 
take time away from this to to make sure this person's getting to daycare on time and and obviously all of this is going to get a lot easier once all three kids are in school and taking the bus but but even then like you know if ashley needs the vehicle to to go to work i'm at home and i i am more flexible i am able to leave work if there's an emergency not so easy for for ashley so um it was it was time and i i said like okay like we don't necessarily want the car payment We'll only buy if something pops up that is sort of fits all our criteria. And it was it was one of those things where I was just, you know, we, we did the test drive and I was like, well, no red flags here. Like all the technology is great. You know, it's got it's got everything I I need and or want. So uh, we jumped on it. But when, when was the last time before then you'd bought a car? Uh, well, I mean, technically. Well, no, sorry. We bought the we bought the van um, in 2016, and it was a similar experience where you know Ashley found it. We, she she test drove it. I was like, "Yep, it works," and we we worked through the deal. Um, and it's funny you mentioned like the previous uh, daily daily use rental. Like uh, both vehicles we have are uh, previously uh, uh, rentals. So, and I find like both these vehicles that were previously driven as, as rentals and had like what 60,000 K on it when we got it, they've lasted. We haven't had many issues or any at all with the van and, and it's been very reliable. And, uh, the previous daily use rental, like it sounds weird to think like, Oh, buying a previous rental, like it must've got really, it must've been used a lot, but really they take good care of those vehicles because they want to get a good use of them for that year and then, and then sell them to a dealer, like a used dealer or something. And, um, come around on that. They, they, it's, it's been, it's been very good for us. Uh, but, uh, yeah, buying a vehicle is, it's, I think if you're buying new, that's where you run into like the issues of like wait lists. And I've heard people who order the car and then have to wait a year to get it. Uh, or they order it and then they wait a year to get it. And then the price shoots up because obviously the price of the vehicles changed in a year. So we avoided all that. Like people told us like, ah, you know, you're going to have trouble finding a car. And it's like, but once we found it, we told the dealerships like, yeah, we test drove it. We like it. Can you hold it while we figure out financing? And we were good, you know? So it, uh, it was a fairly smooth process. I'm sort of jealous almost because I know that I'm going to have to go through the car buying process sooner rather than later. And I just find that whole thing to be like, you've painted a picture of it is really smooth and I appreciate that, but I just feel like it's going to be super stressful. Uh, last time I was stressed out of my mind, I still remember because I would be going to these dealerships expecting that they're trying to hose me all the time. You know, like I'm like, oh, okay, what are, you know, I'm trying to figure out all the tricks and it was only about, you know, learning the, the, those used dealerships and like them unloading the cars and that sort of thing. It really, and having narrowed down exactly what car I wanted by that time, it, it made it easier. But I do think Ryan, like on the topic of family cars. Um, so I talked, Jesse and I will talk everyone. Like she's not on, aligned with me. She, she thinks we don't have enough space or whatever, even though I'm the one packing the trunk, whatever. Uh, she thinks that we don't, uh, we don't have enough space that we needed a bigger car that we should be looking sooner rather than later, so forth and so on. Um, but, uh, but whenever she talks about it, Gwen, our oldest 
eldest child gets very emotional. She'll be like, she'll be like, are we getting rid of the car? Like we're putting down the dog or something, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and I'm like, and, and, and Jess will be like, no, no, Gwen, we're not. We're just thinking about like when eventually we do, she's like, I don't want a new car. And I'm like, no, 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 don't, you know, don't, don't worry about it. And it is funny because I do remember that a little bit from my childhood too, being told that the station wagon was going kaput, you know, the van was an upgrade in every possible way over the station wagon when we were a kid, but the station wagon was like, that was our family car. Right. And so sometimes that sneaks up on you that that car that is bringing your kids to all their activities and all their things, they're developing this emotional connection to it right especially if you're not changing it super often and that you kind of like have to be you know respectful of that to a certain extent or just like you know manage it at the very least ryan did did like because you guys didn't get rid of a car when you bought this new one right like you still did a car go away at any point that they yes uh yeah i got rid of the saturn and um honestly it was it's probably more emotional for me because it was my first vehicle and it oh, felt, right. it was during COVID. Like as soon as COVID hit, we were obviously we were, we were home. Uh, so the van or the van was obviously the one we were using a lot and uh, the car kind of sat and really we had to just remind ourselves to take the car out at least once a week. So it didn't like just rot in the driveway. Um, and that was a, that was a concern, you know, during early days of the pandemic when you weren't, where were you going outside of just going for a drive? Right. Um, and eventually we were like, well, I'm working from home. There's really no need for this additional vehicle. We're just using it to use it. So we scrapped it. Um, I basically told my, my mechanic, like next time I bring it in for an oil change or whatever. And, and mechanics, great. I just said to him, and I trusted him. I said, if, if you, look at this and come to me and say like, you need like, you know, a thousand dollars worth of work to keep it safe for the road. We're yeah. probably going to scrap it. And at right. a certain point he said, yeah, you're looking at probably X amount of dollars. You might want to look at getting rid of it. So, um, I mean, that's the thing. It's so crazy about cars. I, I agree with you. Like, like when that at one point it's just worth scrapping them and you're just like, wow, this car seems like it worked fine, except there's this one thing wrong with it. Yeah, but sure. to fix that is going to cost you X amount, so you might as well scrap it. And I'm like, what is this world we live in? But it's true. Like I understand, you know, uh, I, I, I totally get it. It's the scale of it all, right? Like you think of it, it is a, it is a thing you use daily. It's very expensive to buy a new one, but eventually it becomes a conversation of like, do we put, do we keep putting money into it or do we cut our losses and, and look right. basically start over like buying a, a whole nother vehicle. But in this case, it was, a, it was a little more like, we're not using it as much. Let's see how far we can make it without needing a second vehicle. We knew we were going to need another one, but, but we, we basically, Ashley and I challenged ourselves to be like, let's see how annoying this gets. And then how long yeah. it takes us to basically, you know, give in and, but that's yeah. great because you know, like it was like two years, right? It was about two years, yeah. And and, and really, it came down to just a shift in Ashley's schedule so much, and that right that we needed to we needed to do it. So, but you knew that you needed to do it because you'd had two years of knowing that, like trying it out and being like, okay, and you save money in those two years. But then at one point, it was like, no, we need that we need the second vehicle. Like I so 
where I grew up, I was in the country, like country-ish, like country adjacent, like about two kilometers outside a village, you know, 20 minutes to a half an hour away from a city. Uh, but my my parents had that the, the family car, what I would call the family car, which is what I'm referring to the station wagon and, and, and the um, the uh, the van. But my dad also had his commuter car, which is what your Saturn would have been, right? Like the uh, he had like a Corolla or whatever, and then he would drive into town. And as a kid, I gave no shits about my dad's commuter car, right? Like I would be in it sometimes, but if he wanted to get rid of it, who cares? Like my emotional attachment was to the family car, which to me was the one that I was taken around in more often, which was, you know, the bigger the bigger vehicle right now we only have one vehicle but i imagine if i had two there would be one that my kids would be more like into like obviously both of us have kids with car seats and stuff right now and so um you know they would gravitate towards you know the, the one that has their car seat in gwen i would note is like she's very tall for her age like she's nine but like you know like a 12 year old pretty much in terms of height and um so I've let her sit in the front seat. Like normally you're supposed to keep kids in the back seat and stuff like that. I've let her sit in the front seat a bit as we've, you know, gone to errands, like local errands. And she thinks it's just the craziest thing when she's, I'm in the front. Like I'm, a, she's so excited. You know, it's a big novelty. She knows it's only when it's me and her, you know, mom's there, mom's in the front seat. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, it is, there are elements to the car that are, that are, fun and exciting and that I know like I know my kids are going to have emotional connection I know Gwen is going to see pictures of this car when she's like 40 and be like oh my goodness that was my that was my car you know that's my you know and, and it's funny like that that's what it's one of those regular things that builds nostalgia that you don't even think about as an adult because as an adult you're just functionally you're like I want this car I want these services in my car I want this and yeah. that you're not thinking about like the fact that like you're buying a car for a, a multiple years and multiple years for your children growing is a huge period of their life that that is getting marked by this vehicle you know and and that they will always remember and like I think about those cars when I was a kid and I'm like super nostalgic my friend Breck um inherited a truck like a pickup truck from his dad and uh and he is just like it is it is a classic vehicle it's very it's very nice still but it's completely un impractical for where he lives like just absolutely entirely impractical and he has nowhere really to put it uh, like well he has somewhere to put it but it takes up like all his garage which is like again you know would be so he's got to park on his other car on the street the car that he actually uses and then he has not a ton of room for stuff because he's got this pickup truck in his in his garage that he uses a few times a year. But if, you know, like he would never part with that truck, you know, it's just like it's his childhood. It's It was the first truck he drove when he was a teenager. It's just he would not like he'll never say he'll be buried in that truck, you know. So uh, so it is that that happens. Vehicles forge these emotional connections with you for, for whatever, I, like maybe if you're in a more rural space too, that's more likely because you would, you would need them all the time. Yeah. I, you know, where I, where I grew up, we lived 30 minutes from the nearest sort of city or 
place to that you would work or or go get groceries. So we li- we lived in the country, and we always had multiple vehicles. I grew up on a farm, so we had like a truck, and the truck was always this. It was a utility vehicle. You know, my dad only used it to go from point A to point B with you know chickens or what what have you, uh, or picking stuff up for the farm. Um, we were never really in the truck unless we were like helping with, with chores, but we did have, we did have the main van that we would all pile into. Uh, we would travel a lot for my younger brother's, uh, basketball tournaments. And I remember, um, this was before, so there was four of us, right? So like, we only had one game boy. We only had, we only ever had one of them at a time. Uh, isn't the day and age where like you can buy, you know, three tablets for next to nothing. Um, but we had, uh, I remember specifically these long trips, these long trips, quote unquote, about an hour. Um, we would have, it was called an eliminator. It was, it, I think the brand still exists, but it's basically like this converter that you would plug into the, the van's uh, cigarette lighter and it would offer you AC power. Nowadays, van, or like our van now has like multiple AC outlets in, in the van for, for plugging stuff in. But this allowed us to hook up a small TV and a GameCube to play uh, Smash Brothers uh, on the way to these these tournaments. So for these, man, (laughs) I know for these hour trips, we'd just be playing Smash Brothers on the GameCube and our N64 uh, in the van while my parents drove. Because, again, we didn't we had one of everything. But what we did have is we had four controllers and thinking back i totally understand now why my parents are like of course you can hook up this thing that is likely going to kill the battery if we leave it in a second after we turn the car off and you could haul a small tube tv and a gamecube and set it up and i just i can remember specifically having this tv set up in such a way where the four of us could all play video games on the way up to this to these tournaments and uh that's that's the major sort of memories I have of our family vehicles is just like killing killing the time on the trip and 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 I know now like you know when you drive a long distance with your with your kids like they get antsy so you find ways to kind of like help them pass the time and you give them the tools to sort of you know keep them occupied and but also give them the tools where they're not like they can't handle boredom when it does arrive. But uh, I I think back now, it's like, man, we must have been so not quiet, but like contained and entertained for the drive so that my dad or mom could focus on the road. Man, we like, as I said, we would drive down to Florida every March Ugh, break. Brutal. And, uh, and we did not have anything that good. Like it was... You know, I eventually bought my own Game Boy when I was like 15 or something. Sure. Uh, but uh, but my parents didn't want anything like that. And, you know, they were raised and my mom thought like Nintendo would have you joining the military because it came with a gun. Right. Um, so uh, so, yeah, she did not want me playing video video games that were not on PC. And this was well before the glory days of the Steam Deck, Ryan, although that would probably only get you two hours down the road. Um, but yeah, she would buy all these comics at garage sales and stuff, especially like Archie comics. Uh, she would have just like boxes of them and, and she would make quizzes and just different things like to try to entertain us and stop us from killing each other. Um, 
I I was the oldest, so I could read uh, decent books, and I didn't get car sick easy. Like I was facing backwards reading books in a car, you know. Um, it, I I was able to able to do that. Whereas my brothers were sharing a bench in the middle and kicking each other all the time. With my dad yelling, "Do you want me to pull over?" Um, knowing well that he could not do that in the middle of the freeway. So yeah, good memories. <laughs> the fam, the the family car. Uh, I you know cars are one of those things that you buy so seldomly in your life because they're supposed yeah. to last for a long time. I would welcome listener stories on cars and their family cars, their memories of their cars and the cars that they drive now uh, and how they came by them. It's very interesting. And as I start thinking about buying my next car, I'd be curious to get sort of tips or ideas or things from them. Yeah. Any final, final words before we wrap it up? Uh, well, you know, I did have one little story about, uh, you mentioned you had a station wagon. I remember my aunt had a station wagon and I remember those things were just notorious. Like the back seat was just, it felt so unsafe. And I remember (laughs) there was like, our aunt would always drive super fast over like, uh, the specific set of train tracks and essentially like nothing could keep you in that seat back there as the... As the thing like just teetered as you went over this this bump, and uh, if you weren't careful, you'd just whack your head off the top of the station wagon. That's the memory I have of station wagons: is my my aunt and her uh, uh, looking back, probably very bad driving. And I'm sure if my parents knew the story, they'd be like, "What were they doing?" But uh, yeah, those things were there's a, there's probably a reason they don't make them anymore, right? Like not just because they were uh, they looked weird, but Definitely, there would be safety issues, I'm sure. Like the middle bench is, as I say, a bench. Like there was no divider. Like you could squeeze three, four people, whatever. It was all like it was a bench. And I don't think it was very comfortable. And I don't think it was very safe. Um, And, uh, you know, like there's a a lot, like I'm sure, related to those. Because those station wagons occupy a huge part of like collective nostalgia. Uh, I am surprised that there's there's a car company that hasn't like done like what they did with the Beetle at one point where they did this sort of revamped Beetle, like a revamped station wagon, um, Pontiac station wagon or whatever. But they have not, um, and uh, I would I you know I would not be surprised if like those used um, or whatever like a, a refurbished or something would go for a ton of money. But uh, but yeah, it was it was a. Uh, it was a sweet ride back in the day, Ryan. And whenever I tell people about it, they laugh out loud. So that makes that makes me think that that everybody sort of has something like that that they they relate to. Though your your Smash Brother things that sounds like the dream to me. Like man, I would anyway. I would have killed for that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you can please please share with us your cars. And your stories of cars, uh, you can visit us on the web at tgistudios.com slash dad. You can email the show, dad at tgistudios.com. To be honest, the success of our, our our Discord has dried up our emails. So, I mean, if somebody wants to send us an email, we always love emails. Uh, 
you can uh, but of course you can join us on discord and share your stories there maybe you can see brian stream some sweet betrayal crondor go to the gamers in discord which is bit.ly slash tgi discord um and there's a dungeons and diapers channel there that you, you can uh, you can get in whenever i post in the other channels they keep keep people keep posting with containment breached gifts which makes me think <laughs> that i've done something wrong um, you can also follow us on X slash Twitter. Uh, I'm at Croft and Steers. Ryan's at R. Murphy. The show's at D&D Cast. You can uh, tell your friends, write in topics, uh, engage with us. We thrive off your enthusiasm. Ryan, thank you for the show. Thank you, listeners. It's going to do it for this episode of Dungeons and Diapers. Have a great week, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. It's anime time! We did it! Oh, Ryan, did you think that was a good idea? What was a good idea? It doesn't matter what you think! <laughs> Alright, this is post show. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to get pull up the intro song. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send it to you. And you're gonna watch it. You're gonna tell me what you think, because this will give you a good idea of how how the show works. So before I watch it, I'm gonna ask you a question. What do you think I'm gonna say after I view this? I think you're gonna say this looks like a really fun show that is pretty pretty wacky. So all right, here we give go. It a go. I don't believe you. I know. Here we go. Ah, oh, it's so good. <laughs> Sorry. And then they start dancing. It's pretty like <laughs> wacky. I, I I totally understand that. And then there's a dance. There's a dance number in the middle. They're all yeah. They're all dancing in the street with the zombies right now. Yeah, it, it's thriller, and you've got the tourist lady, and yeah, very well endowed blonde lady. Yes, she's the tourist. She's German. Oh. There. I forgot they had that. So that's the comedy guy who, uh, yeah, who uh, part of the his naked bit. naked guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, man. Such a good intro. Uh, and then they start dancing again. Uh-huh. It's Song of the Dead. It's it's a good show. I think if you were to watch one episode, I feel like, the, I feel like it really gets going after the third episode. But uh, it gets, really gets going after the yeah that that opening was some anime bullshit. That said, <laughs> that said, like I mean, I, again, like the cyberpunk intro, which I started to really like, is some anime bullshit. So it's 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 hard. Although the the naked dude with light shining out of his <laughs> ass right after the well endowed blonde lady is flaunting her her breasts, and then all the zombies are dancing and sync it does make i'm just like oh man and then <laughs> it close cl- close-ups of people like smiling in their big big eyes and stuff like that it's just a it is it is but that said like here here's the thing for all that i shit on anime stuff like for for those tropes like i find it i can't imagine a world where the west puts puts together something like this you know like a show like this you know like it's just the it allows them like to to just get to be crazy in a way that 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 we're not, you know. So I mean, like it's like to to 
they, it, essentially anime is almost always excess. Like everything is in excess. Um, and, and so, uh, so in that, that at a certain point, like it can be, it can be exhausting depending on what it is, but it can also serve things really well. Right. Like when like cyberpunk is a world of excess, like anime aligned itself really well for that. And I think, I think this and what it's doing too, like, and uh, like I get your point about the zombies, the depressing zombies versus like I see them in this and they're just like goofy type type zombies, you know, like it it does and there are like it it almost feels like you know remember plants versus zombies? Like the, those yeah. would be goofy zombies. There are goofy zombies out there. 